All right, hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Retro Game Explorers. It has been a little bit since we have released our last episode. I hope you can forgive us, but we're back to talk about retro games with a splash of modern, if this is your first time joining us. Uh, we are a group of four Twitch streamers, and we uh, we kind of just go off the cuff here and talk about what we've been playing, what we've been up to, industry news, uh, focused on retro games, but not entirely, so just letting everybody know up front. So if this is your first time listening, um, we kind of usually go off of a rough outline with a couple of fun topics. We don't go too deep into planning, uh, <laughs> but after some time off, uh, you know, it's been it's been fun to kind of come back and reconvene about what we're going to talk to you guys about. And tonight, we're going to start off by talking about kind of retro game prices, the landscape of it, because... You know, there's been some rocky hills, ups and downs in terms of, I'm sure how you guys have felt in terms of buying your games online through eBay. Uh, prices have come up, they've come down, they've gone back up. And how this kind of ties into uh, retro game remakes and how those might keep the prices of certain games at bay or in some cases increase them. And uh, that's kind of how we're going to start off. So Let's do a just a really quick intro for anybody that might be listening to this for the first time. Uh, we're going to start with Bovine here. Bovine, why don't you just tell everybody just a little bit about your your Twitch channel and what kind of games you like to play. Do I still get to call myself a Twitch streamer if I stream like <laughs> once every like six months though? <laughs> oh, it's fine. The account is still active, right? Yeah, okay, that's true. If, as long go. as it's not deactivated, I think it's still qualified. <laughs> I mean, at that point, some level, at that right? point, can we even still call ourselves a podcast? We haven't even released yeah, an episode in so a couple of years. <laughs> it's all the same criteria, right? As long as we're, there's there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, I think it's still legitimate. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so for myself, you know, my name is um, I'm Bovine Divine. So on my Twitch stream, you know, whenever I get a chance to get into it and turn, I mean, the, the sad thing is, is that. I use all my stream time for the time that I get to play most of my retro games. So I always try to keep all those experiences fresh whenever I stream it. And unfortunately, what that means is that if I don't stream a lot, I'm not getting the chance to play as many retro games as I would like to. So, you know, so the basic goal of my stream is to go out there, play, you know, all the retro games I missed out on as a kid growing up. And, you know, there's so many gaps. I mean, once you get past Mega Man and Mario and Castlevanias and all of those, there's so many games that I just feel never got enough attention, never got enough love. So, you know, that the goal of my stream is just to kind of look around and pick through the games that slip through our fingers and, you know, showcase them, highlight them, play them uh, with a fresh mind and, you know, give every, give every game a chance out there. That's basically what I try to do on my stream. So uh, what about, so how about you? What about brunch? Can you give us a little bit of information on what you try to do and what you try to accomplish on your stream in terms of retro game related content? Yeah. So for me, uh, I don't really have a plan when it comes to what games I stream most of it it's all retro for the most part I've recently gotten a little bit more into into modern stuff just because I've been so long Brunch. away from it this is ah. the retro game explorers <laughs> oh my god how dare next he's going to be telling us that he's playing VR games or something uh, I know that, that, that may be happening oh boy <laughs> rebrand time time to rebrand folks. no 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 no, no. Just... but but retro is where my heart is always and forever um but no so my, my stream has kind of evolved from just uh, the video game aspect to more of the periphery of the nostalgia and uh, one thing that i was surprised by when i you know began streaming retro games was i i realized my appreciation for it 
you know, is improved over time, kind of like a fine wine, but, but also my appreciation for the nostalgia itself and what kind of surrounded us um, around video game playing back in the day. That's kind of also uh, become a, a, a surprise love of mine that uh, streaming retro games has kind of evolved into. So that's, that's mostly what my stream entails. The retro games are just a gateway into all your other nostalgia bits from you around that age, right? Exactly. That's that's you couldn't. I couldn't have put it better myself. I wish I would have conferred with you before I. Titled <laughs> well, yeah. That. That's why we should have longer pre-planning meetings. <laughs> and Futzvogel. So I'm Futzvogel. Um, it's German for farting bird. Um, Wait, what? I, I, <laughs> How have we not talked about, about this? <laughs> yeah, the the lore of Fitzvogel's name has actually never come up. Before. The bigger question is why is there still no email? That, I'm, that's the only thing I'm I'm peeved about. Fitz, like, well, why is why is it taking so long for that one? <laughs> it's uh, give me time, but yes, no, it means farting bad. <laughs> you know, you can you can make an animating one now too. So that that's I've, new in I've the landscape, some, right? I've got some, but uh, no, no, it means farting bad. It was actually the name of my parrot, and uh, when I was was 16 i thought well i'm just gonna surf on the internet with the name of my parrot uh join justin tv and well it kind of stuck with me until now from 2008 until 2023 so 15 years later but uh i mean i don't really have a plan um i usually like to play games that i'm interested in they could be retro they could be modern but in my opinion modern they're gonna be retro any day anyway so might as well <laughs> dive into a little bit sooner and yeah, it uh, becomes retro right after you finish playing it right in theory <laughs> kind of <laughs> let them gather <laughs> dust on the shelf for 10 years you know just it's like wine you gotta age the games you know there's a, there's a wide range of definition for retro i suppose oh i mean it, it, i think it has evolved over the years like yeah, it used to be 10 years back now it's like two console generations and now we're just too scared because we're aging but anyways you know, it's kind of, it's interesting you bring that up though because you know i've been an innumerable number of streams now where some people they treat it very very seriously like what to call retro what like you know for example if you any of us throw up a stream and you say you put up a console like a ps3 game and you know you're you're still in the retro category like the number of people that come in peeved that you're calling a ps3 or a 360 game retro and like it must be this like only retro is ps1 and before like i don't understand why people have to put such a hard line on what is defined as retro it's crazy to me that it becomes such a point of contention in a lot of streams have you any guys run into that where people are just like arguing over what is and what is not retro that used to be like the main topic of my stream the first six months i streamed and i <laughs> took some really bad turns on guiding that conversation that i fully regret now and I'm you sure took hard you took a hard I, stance I, the other way <laughs> i took a hard stance. yeah like I, I i was like almost i was one step away from atari or not retro like and and obviously i realized that's really wrong but like I understood that retro to me before I streamed meant a particular thing and then I my eyes were open like oh it doesn't have to be just things that came out of the arcade or from the 70s it can be all of this as well and yes I agree that it is especially now with modern games how the mechanics in these games have just gotten so overly convoluted sometimes to me a retro game is just something where you know there's a jump button there's an attack button there aren't a billion icons on the screen and if and if a 360 or a PS3 game can kind of like bring out that feeling of like a sort of simplistic style of gameplay that to me is retro right then and there and then you also have a lot of modern games now too that there's so many retro style games where you're playing a lot of newer games that 
do such a great job of emulating what it feels like to play a retro game. Like this new boom, and the last time you recorded a podcast, they weren't even this prevalent, but you guys have seen how many games have come out now that emulate that PlayStation 1 blocky graphic style that, um, you know, they're all over Steam and they're starting to make their way into more modern consoles, but that kind of stuff is getting so much more prevalent where now it's like instead of saying retro game, it's like you got to say retro or retro style or all these different subgenres now. That's funny, Pete. I hadn't even thought about people using the term retro to describe like the gameplay or the or the genre or the the period mm. of time that they would consider retro. Like you just mentioned something that kind of didn't make sense to me for a little bit because you were mentioning newer style games that are emulating like the look of certain eras, like say N64 blurred graphics or PS1 dithered, you know, first generation polygonal. Like I hadn't not even I have not even personally seen um, those kind of games. You're telling me that there there are studios that are releasing games that are like patterned after certain genre or like certain eras in the well, place to, yeah. in, in the console generation life. So the best example is Puppet Combo. So people have, if you've tuned into my streams when I play like Horror Month, I've done a lot of Puppet Combo games. Uh, so like the ones that look like a PlayStation One survival horror game that have like that really blocky look and this, the similar camera angles where it's like you know it looks like a Resident Evil camera. Um, what was the, the most uh, murder house I played the one with the the Easter bunny that chases me around like perfect example of a, essentially a PS1 emulated looking kind of retro game huh that's weird I had not I had not seen that. I know that there were some games coming out that tried to emulate it looked like older or like the first gen like N64 games like really like kind of blurry you know 3D platformers with like this really funky filter effect on it. You it mean, was almost like the look they were intentionally going for, right? You, you mean the new Pokemon Scarlet and Violet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're unintentionally going for a retro look for those games. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, I had we're to... not going to start. We're, we're not going to start a session here where Pete bags on the on the Switch visuals. <laughs> we, we get enough of that in stream as it is. Listen, they just need to release a Switch Pro. Like I still support the Switch. I have the the Zelda one pre-ordered for the OLED. So it's gonna have to. It's gonna have to be good <laughs> enough for me. So, it's so funny to hear you say that because you're just. I can tell you're just intentionally trying to get people riled up now. <laughs> whenever you mention them, whenever you get a chance. Well, to. Well, I mean, mostly it is mostly a joke. Like you know, I, I kid around about the frame rate and the the loading times on a Switch, but when you really when you think about it, though, it's kind of true. I mean, the Switch is it's getting up there with these load times these days compared to modern consoles. I mean, it's getting kind of, I mean, kind of crazy. The, out, the hardware was outdated even on launch. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, you are correct in that in saying that, but then the problem is, is that when you look at something like the switch platform itself, like why they try to jam on multi-platform releases, you know, for the switch, like they should just realize that it's kind of like, I was looking at a port of mortal Kombat 11 running on the switch. Like I'd, I'd bought a copy or got it for free. somehow. I popped it in there. And when you compare it to, you know, the consoles of that era, like, cause I think it came out on PS4 and Xbox one and PC. It's horrible. Like it's, it's like a really bad looking version of it in comparison. It's like, why did they even go there? I mean, I get you have to sell because the console's selling in that same generation and you need to offer the same games that are available everywhere. But it's almost like they could have been more successful. Just like, bypassing those games right and just focusing on you know exclusive i mean the bigger the biggest issue is always there's not enough exclusive games you know for all the the consoles now nintendo is still kind of like the crown there or they're holding the crown there just because of their you know first party licenses but it was always strange to me that they would try to jam so many multi-platform releases on there right i it's, think what and, you're what you're whole, talking about is the sad part of the industry and it boils down to a business decision where they use these platform these uh 
dev kits that you know can be ported to anything and they say well it makes business sense to do it. we're gonna make more money than it costs for us to do this throw it on the yeah. switch go ha- just throttle it down as much as you need to and make it release well, yeah like the scalable engines that they use to yeah. make the same that's games, what you're right? yeah, scalable engine thank you well the, the important thing too is with nintendo people like there's a lot of nintendo fanboys where all they play are nintendo so for them all they have is the switch they don't have mm-hmm. the experience of playing something on say like a a modern PC or a Series X or a PS5, so they don't have a direct comparison. So for those people, they're like, "What's the big deal? Where it runs fine, it looks fine." But you know, if you're if you're the type of person that jumps around between platforms, that's when it becomes really noticeable. Um, like the origins of this sort of like me always harking on this is because I'm a big Sonic fan, right? So I bought Sonic Forces on Switch because I'm like, "Oh yeah, it makes sense. Let's get it portable." But then when I found out that it runs at 30 frames a second with terrible loads compared to every other release, which runs at 60 frames and really fast loads, I was like, that's it. I'm never buying Switch multi-platform ever again. Yeah, there's the handheld portability of it. But for me, you know, I'm an exception where I don't use it for handheld because whenever I play it, I'm streaming it. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the OLED Switch turns me around on that where I'll want to play my Switch off stream on my handheld because it reminds me of like the OLED on the Vita so much to where I'm like, I just have to play this thing handheld because it looks so amazing. You're still going to hate it. It's really just the screen. I mean, while the screen does make a pretty good difference, it's like you're still going to be saddled with, you know, all the limitations that you... Well, I mean, I don't I don't hate, hate the Switch. I, I still play a ton <laughs> no, of Switch. I play oh, a lot of, course, of, of all the exclusive. Pretty much any exclusive, I still play. I still love it. But it just, it just feels so weird because in my mind, I think of Nintendo as this company that has always released constant revisions of their hardware, like meaningful revisions. And the Switch feels like it got the, the short end of the stick on that because you got the Switch Lite, right? Which is just like, okay, it's a portable version that is cheaper. And then you have the OLED, but it didn't have any meaningful performance boost. So I just, I was just under the impression after all these years, we would have seen something that improved the performance. So I think that's why I'm so let down by it. I think the Switch is the performance boost from the Wii U, and that's why we haven't seen that. Because it's pretty much no, it's I mean, very the- similar. In, in terms yeah, of it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I'm for one, I'm okay with like not 12 different revisions of the hardware within a console because then you just need to buy nine less consoles. You know what I mean? Like that was the thing going back to like going back to the collecting that I've been doing here with the uh, like the 3DS, for example. Right. Like the, just when you look at the number of revisions that are out there and not even talking about across the regions within your own region, like in like the Americas, for example, like if you look at the different types, how many different types of hardware you need to buy to get one of each of the hardware, I mean, that's just too much. So I'm actually OK with the switch. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that I revisions. wanted them to have a bunch of revisions. I was just saying I, I, I would hope that one of their revisions would have like hit the bullseye of, hey, let's let's just, you know speed up the load times or the frame rate a little bit that's all i, was I guess for. i guess they just felt they didn't need to oh no right? they don't kind of speaks yeah they to don't the, they're, yeah, they're, they're still like, selling like hotcakes yeah well we're gonna we're gonna increase our profit margin every time <laughs> i wonder if the new 3ds because that was a hardware revision that excluded a lot of people from buying the new games i wonder if that taught them a lesson not to do that just in case what do you mean in terms of he means well, like ter- the little nub yeah, that you had to have to play certain games. There was yeah. uh, Xenoblade Chronicles that could only be played on the new 3DS. They did some upgrades. I mean, you could still play Super Smash Bros. on the old model, but like the new model was way faster. But was, wasn't there only like five or like seven games that took advantage there of were, any of that? There were, but that was the end of the life the cycle. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like imagine if someone, let's just say, for example, a Skyrim, like Elden Ring, let's just say. Elden Ring would not be able to run on 
old switch the new switch probably more than likely but maybe not old switch and so they maybe you know that would exclude a whole population of consumers not being able to purchase this game nah just blur up the textures you know <laughs> drop the frame rate down to 20 there you go elden ring baby for the switch <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that you mentioned that right brunch because you were talking about like how the new when they iterated the versions of the 3ds like moving it from the small to the big adding the freaking c stick making it more powerful like for most other companies, that'd be like a death knell to separate out, or what's what's it called when you're trying to... Um, you're segmenting you, the population. Yeah. When you segment the pop, your existing population, it would normally be just like a death sentence. But it's like Nintendo says, hey, have another control stick. We're going to throw it in there. And it didn't do anything. It didn't affect hardly anything. Like, you sure, you couldn't play... You couldn't sma- see Smash people, right, in Smash Brothers, or you couldn't move the camera around in Resident Evil Revelations, I think it was. Maybe Metal Gear Solid took advantage well, of be, it. I can't even remember. To be fair, that C-stick sucked. Like that thing was uh, terrible. Yeah, I mean that that nub was worse than the PSP, you know, sliding thumbpad, yeah, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I I honestly I don't think I've ever used it for anything on on the models that I have it on. Like, oh, I've yeah. never used it. Menu navigation, possibly. So the one game sure. that I played that used it heavily was that three down stars game that I played in October, like that survival horror game that was East Shop that exclusive. Used it? It's a, it's oh that was the camera. You right? have to have the new 3ds to play that game. Oh, that's right. The hardware. It needed yeah. the, the new hardware stuff. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, there's yeah. very few few games that use it. So yeah, I wonder if that, that experiment poo-pooed Nintendo from ever upgrading their console to the point where devs are going to take advantage so much that the old console won't be compatible with the game. I wonder if that's why they didn't they chose not to do that this generation. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm talking more about just performance boost in general, not like adding kind of create any kind of crazy hardware revision that would require exclusive games. Just mm. just a little bump, you know, like game, not all games running at 60 frames, but just it just makes you wonder, like this new Zelda game coming out. Is it going to run at 60 frames? Is it going to be 30 frames? How are the loads going to be? It's like that's their flagship title. I truly thought they were going to release that alongside of a hardware revision, like a true hardware performance revision. But. Well, that it's not to sense. say it's not to say they won't, right, Pete? They've done it before yeah. with new consoles. Here it's like here's the last version of Zelda. What was it? Um, yeah, the yeah. last GameCube version of Zelda, Twilight Princess. Yeah, but Twilight here Princess. it is on the new system, right? Yeah. And they, they did a simultaneous release. And they did it with the Breath Xbox of the Wild. The same thing. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. That is that is true. So. Whatever the next Switch is, they're going to launch it with maybe a dual pack of Breath of the Wild one and two, running at sixty frames, blazing fast load times, <laughs> with achievements. I'm- I'd buy it. Sorry, I don't mean to get the Nintendo fans excited. That ain't happening. But we can hope, right? <laughs> you already got them riled up. I'd buy it. I mean, hey, if I'm suspected, if I'm suspected now to pay ten bucks more for the New Zelda game, that's that's kind oh, of God. what I'm dreaming of now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, that's right. They're charging more yeah. for the current well, release because everyone right? else, like, all the other systems have gone up in price on their games. So why why can't Nintendo? They, out of anyone, oh. should and can. Deeply cutting into work. our like gaming budget. Like I gotta we plan everything now, man. <laughs> well, let's 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 take a step back. I know we went off on a tangent here, just kind of discussing topics, but let, let's come back around. So for the last couple of years, you know, we've noticed some really big swings in pricing for retro games. So coming back to our original love here, retro games, obviously a lot of it has to do, you know, as, cause as most of us are collectors here for retro games, we're noticing huge spikes in pricing over the last couple of years. I'm sure, you know, obviously we see it every week in pizza, eBay stream for our own purchasing habits. We've obviously noticed that 
What have these price swings, how has it affected the way you guys have been buying games? I mean, or has it affected at all? What, what big changes have you made for yourselves on, on retro game buying? For me, it's been a it's been a really big change for me. It's kind of refocused how I go about amassing games. And I used to amass games just on sheer volume. And I just wanted to collect as much as I could. Even if it was a crappy game, I've found that, you know, some games, as bad as they may be, still have some value to them. But now, with, with the way things are, I've had to change what I buy. And now I focus on games that I really want to own as opposed to I'm doing less exploring and more nostalgia buying games that I saw you know my friends had back in the day games I rented that I didn't own myself that I want to now get and play so it's really maybe really get laser focused on what I want as opposed to just amassing as much as I could and it's probably a healthier buying habit Um, I'm a little bummed that I can't you know complete my my uh, crimson skies (laughs) mass collection but but I think I think you're gonna go for use. all. You're gonna go for all the worldwide region variants. No, at some well, point, you right? open like, you <laughs> open that door. Bovine got me a, a copy of Crimson Skies from Singapore, which has opened the door. But I'm still not an import collector. Like uh, my, my, my my 14 copies of Crimson Skies are just fine with one friend from overseas. <laughs> that's volume for sure i mean have you noticed brunch like just the price swings in your area where you're at in terms of like the, the stores you're going to buying locally ebay etc like yeah, I, you yeah, oh yeah. 100 my, my, my one gripe about it is not so much the prices going up but it's so much that my local stores what they'll do is they'll tag their their items and they'll put the date that they tagged it and i'll notice that they will choose not to update certain consoles like let's just say for example uh, CDI. CDI hasn't has uh, seen a price change in my local stores for about six years now, and and you know, I mean, let's be real. You must be the only person. I, in I, I, I for CDI. sure, I for sure am because <laughs> I'm the only one who removes things from the shelf, uh, from the CDI <laughs> shelf. But still, but you know, you sometimes you want a reevaluation. Sometimes you don't. But I feel like the the I don't know about you guys, but the retro stores are reevaluating for their favor as opposed to our favor, which of course, which makes sense. But it can be a little frustrating, right? Like I was really my my. Big hunt recently was uh, Legend of Zelda Four Swords on GameCube because that was a game I always wanted and just never picked up. And now I have kids and they love Zelda and I have aspirations of actually playing that with them for the first time. So I, I had to get it before it kept going up and up and up. And I'm glad that I picked it up finally because it's off the list. Even though it was like a little hard, you know, hard pill to swallow, it's done. And then you guys know that feeling, right? That relief of, oh, I've got this finally. I don't have to worry about looking for it anymore. It's in the condition I want. So that was a really nice like triumph for me because, like I said, usually my, my game pri- buying was under five bucks, buy it. And now it's not that. It's save that five bucks for those 10 games I don't need and spend that 50 bucks on one game I really want. And it's a nice change as far as like an accomplishment of collection is concerned. Hmm. So you've just been narrowing down the list, essentially. Or, well, like you said, focusing on, on the must-haves, kind of like the prioritized things on your list then. Exactly. And it's, it's different for me, right? Because you say I used to be more about the amassing, and now it's like, the okay, now I need to focus and find this. And it's kind of a nice change of pace, which kind of has reinvigorated my love for the hobby. Huh. That's a good way of looking at it. How about you, Futz? Uh, how was, how, what are you seeing in your area in terms of how these pricing swings and how has it affected the way you've been looking at acquiring games Mm, it's interesting because there are several points for myself like i used to have a monthly gaming budget um so that way everything is accounted for and oh boy did i spend that money (laughs) that uh especially you maximize your you maximize your your monthly budget 
I remember that. Like the things you would be finding for the prices you'd be getting. Like those they were always like amazing deals and great values, right? So Yeah, the hard to resist, not gonna lie. But I mean I think it's better anyways to have a fixed budget. It's just healthier that way because like the there's several tendencies that went into my evolution of collecting. So um I noticed recently that uh, video game lots dried up a lot. Um, I'm not finding these crazy deals anymore. But even when I find a lot nowadays, I'm like, okay, is this going to um, be budgeted? As Do I have the budget this month to buy the slot? Am I not going to overspend myself? And also, what are the games in the lot? Because before, I was just bli buying blindly. Like, oh my god, this is the price of just the consoles, and all these games are for free, and I'm going to be able to resell them to make back the money of the lot. It's okay. <laughs> Granted, if you go on eBay, you look up certain prices of games, they may or may not sell for that amount of price. But if you actually go into selling video games, it's so hard to sell off video games, <clears throat> especially for good prices. Because yeah, I'm gonna I can sell them if I just sell them off for a buck or two. But like if I really want to sell them for a wanted price, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort to post every single video game, describe in detail the like the, the quality of the disc and scratches and the manual has this issue. Um, game has smelled or not. <laughs> That's like another indicator for myself, just a little bubble. <laughs> if a PlayStation 3 game can case, can grow mold in it, for me it's retro. I shall close <laughs> well, the little bubble. But uh, that's a that's a weird <laughs> but that's a weird dichotomy though, right? That's because you're talking about how like I assume you're saying you can't find lots because people I guess they're tending to part things out now and sell them for max value. Yes, I guess. And no, um, I still see lots, but many people are looking up for these lots. Like um, sometimes I see crazy deals and they've been listed for three seconds and boom, they're already sold. But, I mean, it depends. There's, like, periods of the year. Like, for example, the summer season is more interesting because people tend to sell off stuff they don't need after the summer holidays to make money back. And also, it's it's so random. It's really, like, based. I mean, you can't really determine it. It's like flea markets. Some flea markets, I find crazy stuff. Then I go onto five flea markets and I find absolutely nothing at all. It's You can't really determine it. There's still crazy deals out there. I'm not saying that. But um, as of lately for myself, I just noticed that I haven't been seeing lots, at least that have been tempting me to buy them. So, because you tended to focus on a lot of these like offer ups, like the local, um, like local apps yes, kind of I did networking, all of them. right? Where people would grab all of them yeah. Facebook, local ads, um, just local ads in general. Uh, Macaui, uh, in Europe, it's called Vinted, um, very popular. Um, uh, there's like special other video game selling sites. Like, I have so many websites I already check on the regular, but my conscience has changed in collecting so yes i've noticed less lots popping up but i also have been spending less time on searching up lots because you have only so much time in a day and i've been i spent 
hours. Like it's all I did in my, like the for years. Like I was just looking up video games, video games to buy, video games to buy cheaply. I did that. I got a ton of video games cheaply, but I didn't notice that my backlog kept growing and I wasn't enjoying actually playing the video games as much as I used to be. So it was You're just hitting that wall that so many collectors yes. will run into, I guess, oh, at yes. some point, right? Oh yes. I, I, I definitely don't feel alone in that regard. So I'm I'm trying to There is a so much of that. I, I, I mean just sorry to interrupt. Yes. I just I well while, while you're telling me that, right? It's like it's such a common refrain I'm hearing from all the various, you know, people I watch on Twitch, just retro collecting like Discord. Like a lot of people are just in that mode where they've hit that wall where they're like, I have too many games and my backlog is crazy. It's like the fatigue starts hitting them and they just like, I, I need to sell all my games or I need to thin down my collection or I need to, you know, just get, you know, I'm going to sell all my stuff and only keep the things that I really, really love. Like I'm seeing so much of that out there yeah. and then it's weird. That it's all happening around the same time. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I, I, I mean, think it sounds like that's, you ran into that. People try and broaden their horizons too much. Something that's worked for me over over many years now that I've been enjoying is like you need to just focus on one or two consoles for a whole year. If that's what you need to do, like, yeah, you may consider yourself a collector for all consoles, but you spread yourself too thin. You get so many different games for so many different consoles and it feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But if you have a console that you're really enjoying, then just buy games for that and that console only and only play games for that console for a set period of time. And it'll make you feel like you're making more progress because you're so focused and honed in on that one console definitely and that's good advice that's what i've been... i don't know what any of you guys are talking about <laughs> <laughs> well i'm saying like instead of jumping from one console to the next constantly just like you know if say you're in a cdi mood play nothing but cdi for like three weeks and yeah, go through can, all you your games love, you, you can be in cdi mode one day and 3do mode the other and yeah but the people the, pe the people that. that are starting to feel overwhelmed though <laughs> in the sense of collecting and playing it's probably because you look at your collection and you you feel like you're making no dents or progress in it because you're spreading what you play out. Then, I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying for the people that may be feeling that sense of fatigue, that that's just a thing I can offer up as advice. Mm. Bunch of crazy people. Bovine yeah. was worried this was an intervention veiled as a podcast. Exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say this yeah. isn't turning into that, eh? Like I feel attacked on three sides right now. <laughs> no, but it's something I've been trying to be a little bit more vocal about. Um, I'm just like stopping. You, you don't have to do anything. Just stop. You can fix a time, like say for a month. I'm gonna stop browsing all these websites for deals. Just stop buying and trying to refocus. Look at what you own and try and go from there. Uh, you don't have to resell if you don't want to. You can, but you don't have to. But it's just like just stopping breathing and reassess and try and go from there. Because, um, I mean, there's like many different reasons on why you could have come to that point. Are you trying to fit into a group? So you're trying to buy as many games as possible to like show off like cool all your recent pickups Brag, yeah. um are you trying to make up for something in your personal life are you trying is it like a sort of escapism which is perfectly fine but just you know try and recess why are you buying all these games and i try to look into it and i sincerely want to play the games i did buy but i had to realize that buying 20 games per month even if they were cheap it's not realistic because realistically I'm going to 
play maybe one, maybe two games if I'm really pushing it per month. So it's not realistic in like the ratio. So just sit back, breathe, and just try and reflect what the retro gaming or modern gaming or whatever gaming really represents for you. And trying to be just more conscious about your buying habits and go from there. I mean, that's all I can try and advise. Um, and it definitely helped me a lot to just okay, enjoy what I have. Take notes. I'm going to take <laughs> notes here. So Foots is slowing down yes. because the mom and pops all around her have realized what they have and they're trying to get top dollar for it. Therefore, really. not giving her any good Speak deals. Okay, got that. it. <laughs> But yes, this, is weird. this is getting too this is get, this is getting too deep for me. I gotta go spend six hundred dollars on keyboard right now. On, on the flip side of the coin, we just heard that Bovine is sniping all of the collectors with fatigue <laughs> and getting all of their collections on mass one at a time. No, no, no. So, so honestly, no, no. Honestly, that that is the way it's been going for like a nice you know, run of like five, six years straight. I mean, really, my my goal was just to grab every single game I could get my hands on, right? And I don't. I wasn't to the point where I cared about the condition or the quality. Like, just give me the ability to play the real game. Like, that was honestly what I was doing for, like, a good stretch from the minute I started recollecting in 20, what was it, 16, right? Right before I started streaming up until, I would say, a couple of years ago. It was just like a, it was like a nonstop freight train. And, yeah, there was some periods of time where it was, like, a little, it was overwhelming. But just the, the fun of, like, grabbing games from across every single console generation, as many as I could in any way, shape, or form. It was it was madness, right? But it was, it was a fun kind of madness that I got a lot of enjoyment out of. But, I mean, I will say, I mean, most of the time, like, the way I was collecting games is that I always wanted, you know, I wanted all the games, but I also wanted games at a great deal. Like, the deal, the hunting the deal was always, like, the bigger part. Mm. Or I feel like it was, like, the majority, it was, like, the major part of, like, the game collecting that got to me. It was just like, oh, I know this game is $40, but, hey, someone's selling it for, you know, $20. Someone's selling it for $10, right? I just need to get that because... I know it's a big deal. It's a great deal, right? Because of the the discount that I'm getting at whatever point in time. It may not have even been something where I was like even cared about the game, which is kind of weird. But then at the same time, if I got it for a deal, I feel like I could almost maybe even enjoy it even more <laughs> by the time I get around to playing it. It was like, hey, I got this game for a deal. So even if I play it and it's a piece of garbage game or if it's not that well done or if it's like not the best game out there, I feel like it's still, it was like worth my time and investment to like hunt down that game and grabbing it. So a lot of my game collecting was was centered around trying to amass huge you know buy huge lots at great prices so like the price per game you know it was almost like a price you know like like games by the pound thing like oh you know i got this huge lot for like you know, 40 cents to the there pound are sellers selling like games by the pound these <laughs> yes. days. yeah exactly <laughs> well it's also too when you finally get around to them they're maybe even double what your original estimate was on their yes. their value yeah. so that makes you feel even better like damn i'm so glad i grabbed this three years ago because guess what i saved even more money based on today's prices and that's a funny thing you bring up because it's almost like you know how some people would be proud of saying oh i bought this game for five dollars back in you know 2012 and now it's worth like five hundred dollars oh great like have you played it though no mm. i'm never gonna play this but that's a weird thing because there is Wait, a segment that, hold on that that's really... really weird to buy a game and then say you're never gonna play it well, I mean, there are some people who they're. It's almost like they're more. Um, they're in the collecting scene more for the value, right? That's. I'm, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. Not yeah, there's yeah. not like a lot of people that we know that are like that, but there are definitely there's segments, and I see. It seems like there are many new segments that popped up that seem to be collecting more for the value versus the games, which is you know something we all feel pretty strongly about. I would imagine. I mean, for me, and, if I buy a game, I have this mindset where I may not get around to this game for five or ten years. 
but I Talk know I will get around to it eventually. Yeah. Like that has happened oh, exactly. a lot recently where I played some expensive games and I'm like, oh yeah, I bought this for 50 bucks and it's worth 500 now. It's like, well, I'm really glad I bought it back when I did, you know, even mm-hmm. if it took me 10 years to get around to it. Yeah, for us, it's a it's a bonus, right? Because we all intend to, you know, every game we look at when we buy, we're like, okay, well, someday down the line, I can't wait to play this game, right? So, like, the price thing is a secondary thing, but a nice bonus. Mm-hmm. And where some people have that priority kind of flipped, which is kind of weird, right? So, like, for me, like, my... my and that was the thing that kind of really uh, slowed things down over the last couple of years. Obviously, there was a huge price spike, right? <clears throat> there was a huge price spike, and it's come down a little bit. But during that time the the deal itself was a very hard thing to 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 find like for me you know the biggest you know like i would say 80 percent of the games that i buy they're always on ebay and it's always like being patient waiting looking for lots and looking for deals because that's the thing that uh, i always tend to go through first like that's first and foremost that's primary but over the last couple of years because of these price spikes they just weren't there i mean i mean i would say maybe they were there but to a much lesser degree i mean i know every week pete does his amazing ebay streams <clears throat> on saturdays where they go and where he goes and searches with chat and looks at price trends on ebay game searches things like that and during that segment it was just it was insane to see the pricing skyrocket though it is because you take the markup that everything had and then you add on top of that on ebay the ebay markup is like the combination of those two things it completely turned and the shipping don't forget the shipping has gotten crazy (laughs) that's right yeah disgusting died (laughs) import gaming died i feel for a couple years thank goodness i did my import (laughs) collecting years like it is absolutely uncollectible now you're paying like twenty dollars to get a game from japan and it only makes sense if you're buying a ton of different games you can bundle them together yeah that was one of the craziest things to see and it was and i and that was purely as a result of the of the pricing jump too right like all the import sellers are like you know we're 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 getting hit left and right gas is going up transportation is going up so shipping shipping centers got affected too like uh because remember aldrick uh who hangs out in our streams you know he was he lives in japan and he was saying how he is not allowed to ship uh you know the economy way anymore it's like he's got to use the most expensive service and he said his his business went way down because he can't sell games for the shipping prices anymore yeah it was crazy so i mean ebay for me i just completely i i literally stopped i was just like forget this i'm waiting until prices cool down because everything was just insanely high so you i i know it would get to the point where where i used to look you know constantly all day somewhere on my phone on my pc wherever i would look you know just have searches and you know run a normal lot search and just trying to see what pops up and there was i just stopped doing those searches because it was pointless nothing was coming out as worth the value i mean maybe one thing would have popped up like in a week whereas before it was like one every couple of hours so that just completely turned me off to it and i, I just walked away from me and i said you know i think i'm okay for a while it's like i've been connect, collecting and buying games at a breakneck pace let's, let's take a little bit of a break and when i say that I took a break from eBay. <laughs> the problem is, the problem is, is that right around that time that that happened, this site called Whatnot. Oh, was I, like I, I was going to mention that. You didn't mention that, Bovine. <laughs> it, this was a sickness. I mean, the, if you want to talk about a site that was designed around my worst sensibilities, it was this site wrapped into one. You're the like, reason, Bovine, that I still have not even been on this website. Because <laughs> like, I, I hear what you say about it, and I'm like, I would fall victim. Like I, I, <laughs> I force myself to not log into this site. 
He did you a favor, a big favor. It was beyond addictive. Like, you know how, you, Pete, you talk about that high of even, you know how bidding is kind of like a lost art on eBay, even though it's still a big part of it. But, like, everyone knows that most items are set for buy it now. So everyone just goes to eBay, looks for what they want. You know, they get something close to the price they want, they just buy it now. So there's no fun of the original days, the old days of eBay, where you could bid on every single item. And, you know, if no one was paying attention, you would get amazing deals, which, you know, will still happen I, every now and then. I think the then. new school version of that is sending offers on people that have it enabled either on purpose or not and trying to get them to take a low ball mm -hmm. offer. Yeah, it's kind of like a slower, it's like a slow down version of the, of the old bidding You, wars, you right? get that so, random notification where it's like, oh, so-and-so accepted your offer of $50 for Blood Will Tell on PS2. It's like, well. Yeah, and then that <laughs> dopamine hit rushes in. <laughs> so, but, and, and I'm telling you, that was the problem. Like the, like it couldn't have been more than a week after I decided, okay, I'm going to stop using eBay. Like somebody, I want to blame Blinkum maybe. Like it was someone else who was mentioning what whatnot is, or someone was talking on Discord. So I said, oh, let me jump on there and take a look. And it is the, <laughs> like I said, it is the, like, you know, on eBay, how you have to wait like days, like, so, like six days is like the normal period of time that an item is put up for bid if you don't make any changes as a seller. <clears throat> Like on whatnot, you just log on to a live stream. So I love Twitch, right? I love watching live streams. I like streaming myself. So these were sellers live streaming live auction bids of retro games like every other minute. It's, it's kind of like <laughs> the QVC of video gaming in a way. It was worse. It was like QVC on crack, though, because they were literally like shotgunning items to you like every 30 seconds. It was insanity. I, and it was the worst thing. Like, because like I have like this weird gambling problem. You add that with retro games and deals to be had. And, oh, well, it was, hold on. It there's, was... there's another side to that, too, because this kind of ties in. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm going to let you finish, but I just want to say it also has to do a lot with the community side of it. Let's just say oh. that you find a whatnot streamer that you like. Whatnot is very focused on community. Like a lot of people will um, like do gift out giveaways like, hey, you know, that oh, give man. that game away as a giveaway. And then if you mm -hmm. kind of become a prominent figure within that community, I could see how you would almost feel forced into like, oh, here's this game. Oh, the streamer's calling out my name or something like yeah. uh, you almost feel forced into wanting to buy it or show your name because like the, the community kind of expects you to right? that. This is one of the reasons why I haven't gotten on whatnot because I've seen it in the trading card game community and I see how strong that sort of like communal aspect is with when it comes to when it comes to Twitch streaming, that's way different. But when it comes to spending money, like it's almost like a peer pressure to buy and spend. Pete, it's amazing that you have not been on whatnot because you basically described exactly what went wrong with whatnot at, like at the same time like this so everything you described about this community is coming together banding together and like supporting the, initially it was great because it was exactly what you were saying people were supporting each other like there would be people trying to boost people's like low count streams by buying a game and say oh we'll give it away to the people in chat right and, like it was something that started out like a grassroots thing to really kind of build like these strong communities but it probably took about a good couple of weeks before it turned into this completely toxic environment oh really where like you said oh yeah where people like felt pressured to mm. like you know give things away and people were like starting to be bullied in people's live streams and then there were some live streamers who would make make it like their main goal in their streams to do nothing but buy things and have other people give them away constantly wow. it was ugly like Th the this, situation this is one of the reasons why i would never ever consider selling a whatnot because you almost feel pressured into doing things that you don't want to do from a selling perspective, whether that be oh, giveaways or low prices or deals because you need to compete with the other people. It's like, no, no I'm it, good. 
And again, right, everything was accelerated in this community for these whatnot sellers. Like everything you're describing, whereas on eBay or even in Twitch streams, like these kind of like pressures of the community and things like they would happen over time. This happened so fast. Like I feel whatnot exploded like a supernova and then immediately like destroyed everyone around it with its fallout. It was crazy. Wait, when you say fallout, do you mean that it's really died down when it comes to people selling games on there? there was there was two things that happened one this toxicity at least and and you know i gotta let me back this up a little because whatnot was created to sell a number of different things retro was just the only categories that i participated in like they did things like nfts comics like you know uh, athletic shoes anything that is trading cards especially yeah exactly but but yeah and trading cards was a huge thing too so i never jumped into anything but the retro games but just like and i was headlong into this whatnot retro game selling like community for a good eight months straight it was all i did i bought so much stuff off whatnot it it basically replaced like my entire gaming shopping like you know stuff from ebay like it was like fivefold on whatnot but during this time you could just see all these elements happen. It was crazy because everything was happening in real time. Like you would be sitting in a, in a streamer who literally just started streaming that day. Right. And you would be in there with like five other people and be amazing because you would get together. You would like get to know like the people in chat. And then we would all, we'd all just pal around with the seller and talk about retro games. And it was amazing. But then, you know, they could just feel that they needed to compete with the other sellers who had been established or else they would be losing people. So then mm. there was these communities that would literally go around to these small streamers and say, Oh, you know we're coming in hot it was essentially like a raid is on twitch and they would bring all these people in but they would buy everything up at super high prices like they would buy a copy of you know a ridge racer for playstation which is like a you know 30 dollar game they would buy for a hundred dollars because they wanted to help the seller yeah and then give it away but then it became a thing where people were networking to do that and it was like taking away actual purchases from people who wanted to buy it wait when you say networking to do that you mean like streamers working together to say yes hey can you send your community to my stream so they spend Absolutely. the whole bunch oh of my oh my god that's or, disgusting or even more even worse pay them to bring them over oh really like getting cuts of the profit like it was very nasty like accusations were flying left and right all over the community so in other words like getting a friend to make a new account and pretend they're new but really they know x streamer and they're like yeah. hey give me a cut of what you make oh because early on for whatnot there weren't a lot of safeguards for these kind of like not scams but essentially that's what it was right? manipulation like there, there were things in pl- yeah there was a lot of manipulation going on and it really soured the experience and, and again it happened so fast that i got to the point where well one i was buying way too much stuff so i kind of like cut myself off of whatnot but at the same time this toxicity was just rampant everywhere at least in the retro game uh like s- uh, seller community so it's crazy how it all happened if you and and, it, and it's weird like when i go to look around to see if anyone has was describing what was happening or figuring out like you could read about how these things were happening you could read a little bit about it but it was happening so fast that i swear it like came and went it came and went and there were so many people who just like left because they were tired of sitting in a streamer and not being able to buy anything mm-hmm. because they were just being like overbought or they were being like rewarded right by these like these so-called like you know <laughs> saints of the, of the community it was crazy so and you had to be like you had to be in these communities and jumping from room to room to kind of see it all happening but it was happening everywhere you went it was it was an insane period of time like i know p you love talking about like the experience of things that you have to be there day one kind of thing like you know mm-hmm. you talk about it in the scale of games and like online games like the first week you play and how you can rock it to the top of the league but like and then when everything dies out and if you weren't there to experience it you have no idea like how it was this is it felt like that and i haven't been back to whatnot in about 
I don't know, six to seven months now. I, like I, I'll, I'll open it up occasionally because I know the oh, minute fine. I'll just that guilt. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. careful there. <laughs> but I went back in there to see if there was still an issue, and I, I can't quite tell. So maybe one day I'll go back and see. Maybe they've weeded out, you know, the bad ones. And I remember Bovine was the first person normal. that reached out to me on like a DM or Twitch. Or he was like, "So have you? When are you gonna get on whatnot?" I'm like, "What the hell is whatnot?" I had no idea what it was. <laughs> And thankfully, you know, you kind of explained it to me and uh, I was like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know about that. Cause I can kind of just tell from the way that you described it. I'm like, that is going to be way too addicting. And th- like the, what I described in the beginning is kind of like what I formulated in my mind around it. But I had another way that I had to, to try and dodge this, so like kind of leading into how I have changed my ways of collecting. Uh, not a lot of people may know this, but uh, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, I took a break where I hadn't, I didn't like go on eBay to buy anything in terms of video games for about four months. Um, because that's when I started getting into collecting trading cards and there's no way to like, I could not budget for collecting trading cards and video games. Like I just, it's not possible. So I, I had to take a break cause I was enjoying, you know, really enjoying collecting trading cards. I still do, but my, my habits on like what I decided to buy with that is definitely like been reevaluated. But when I first started getting into collecting trading cards, obviously trading cards have a huge presence on whatnot. So when I was first getting into dabbling into MetaZoo and, um, you know, the trading cards that I got into afterwards, my, my first experience was uh, a YouTube streamer. Like he was streaming on YouTube, selling MetaZoo. And, you know, he, he was hyping it up, making it really fun. The The community seemed really cool and everything. So I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me Let me buy... Uh, a pack or two or whatever the heck I bought. I bought like a, I don't know, $20 worth of packs or something, right? And then the streamer, he was like, you know, oh, you're new here. Oh, welcome to MetaZoo and everything. You know, here, let me give you a free pack. And then in that pack, you get like a $10, $20 card, whatever it was. And um, like, you know, they they do, not to like say anything against the, sh- the streamer, but I can tell right in that moment where you're getting these hit cards and the community's getting all hyped up and the streamer is like very obviously trying to make you feel welcomed. I'm like, Ooh, man, if this is what whatnot is, I need to stay <laughs> far away from that because you know, if you just pick, cause on YouTube, these, these kind of like whatnot style streams are almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of people that really do them for trading cards, at least with MetaZoo. So I'm like, okay, I can kind of like, if I get into this, I could stick with this one streamer and that's it. But if you get on whatnot, it's like Pandora's box with, with options for that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. That sounds like, it sounds like what you're, what you're describing, but like a hundredfold, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and it's weird that you mentioned this trading mm-hmm. card thing. Cause I feel if at all possible, it seemed like you dove into that even harder than what you, how you ever, uh, even harder than you ever did with any retro games. Like you were well, just, yeah, that's leading in me into it. my next point. How, how trading cards have made me appreciate collecting games more because with trading cards if you're not careful you you don't realize it but trading cards are limitless collecting Mm. there is no limit so it it really made me step back and look at games now that i'm back into like buying stuff for ps2 for streaming because i haven't been buying cards for a few months now um but it, it makes you appreciate collecting games more because with trading cards it's like it's a never ending thing. Like even with older sets, you just, uh, I guess, Oh, I guess the only argument with that is old out of print sets that they don't make anymore. Like, yes, there's a cap with how many cards out there exist for it. But with these newer games, it's like, man, every few months they come out with new sets and it's like you, there's just a never ending supply of different types of hit cards and stuff. So 
collecting trading cards. How, yeah. I don't understand how something like what you're describing, right? Like they can have a current meta zoo like year, for example. And then within that year, there's like 12 different like levels of meta zoo cards or, you know, whatever they do with Pokemon. Well, that, cards that's what it is. Yeah. That's how they get you. That's <laughs> how they keep you hooked in. Is, is that they, they just constantly give you some different stuff to buy. And with mm. MetaZoo, for those that don't know, MetaZoo is like a sort of like knockoff looking Pokemon game with cryptids instead of, you know, Pokemon. It, I like it. I It's what introduced me really back in the to TCGs. But that that's how they keep you looped in and they try and, you know, keep the sense of community going and almost like pressure in a way. Um, but I am very picky on what I buy with MetaZoo. Like the past few sets, like subsets that have come out, I haven't touched them. Because I realized, like, man, you got to be careful with this stuff. And that's why now that I'm back with PS2, or we're so, like, just collecting games in general, at least you know you know how many PS2 games are out there. You know exactly what you want. You you know exactly, like, where you got to go to get it. Whereas with cards, uh, yeah. you know, there there is no, no limit for these things. So. It just stretches out into, like, genres and types of games. And yeah. uh, just, like, this is the number of different properties that are used i mean right brunch i mean you know all about you know all about it now right you can go get your golden eye movie cards you can get your <laughs> mtv yo mtv raps cards wow yeah just... i mean honestly and that's something i would prefer to go collect but i i got to a brief stint the past few years collecting pokemon cards and my eyes have been opened every three or four months a new set comes out and these are not small sets these yeah. are massive sets to collect um uh, each with you know varying Wait, when did you get into this my my kids were into Pokemon over you know the past few years, so I oh. I started getting into it myself and looking into the older sets and looking at how many sets have been released and just it, my eyes were opened. So what Pete is saying, it sounds good. I'm glad that I did not get too deep because it sounds like for someone who oh, likes yeah. collecting, especially with Pokemon cards, there's so you can get a lot of Pokemon cards a lot very cheap. Even still, even if you get the bottom of the barrel common cards, you're gonna be dumping. <clears throat> hundreds or thousands of dollars into a collection a serious collection and i luckily put the brakes on it i think pokemon is a different monster though like there's so many different ways you could go about collecting that i think Mm -hmm. the best way is collect what you're nostalgic for so -hmm. for me like i have put a stop on pokemon this new set that has come out i am completely avoiding it because pokemon is just too ridiculous if there's one thing that i realized when i was opening pokemon for like my tcg channel or, or on twitch or whatever you get such bullshit in those pa- like you open packs and a pack of pokemon is legit like worthless unless you get a hit card and it feels bad it does it's like man mm-hmm. that does not feel good but for pokemon what's great about it is a lot of people are nostalgic for it so if i were to get back into it again i think i would focus more on what i'm nostalgic for so like slightly used types of copies of like cheaper end uh like vintage stuff so like base set jungle fossil team rock the stuff i grew up with if you're trying to keep up with these newer cards that can be so overwhelming at the like you said the rate they release them at yeah um i don't know it's it's fun don't get me wrong but it's it's a deep rabbit hole that you go down and uh, I just want to take this opportunity again to appreciate the fact that I did not grow up liking any type of Pokemon's games or stuff. So I do not, I'm, I, I have no, yeah. none of this affects me in any way. But which you is, grew up which is liking great. Final Fantasy games. Yeah. So there's uh, a trading card game. <laughs> well, at least they've kept it down to like, you know, one Opus a year or now they're, I guess they're releasing like two Opus like series. Oh, they're, year. they're doing they're like one every down. four months. They're ramping yeah, it up. It's, it's, I, you know, I did notice that when we first started, I was like, okay, here's one this year. And then, oh, here's two this year. And now it's like, I didn't even see how oh yeah i haven't been year. buying the new cards like it's hard to keep up mm. with that's the kind of when thing they... where once every year i might like dip my toes back in but man it's that's hard to keep up with but not to go down yeah, the trading true. card 
route too far with people. Um, but just to tie it back into games is, uh, yeah, in the time where I was buying cards, I, I was not buying games. And now that I'm done buying cards for now, like I have to put a cap on it. I can't do both at the same time. I, it, it's really made me enjoy getting back into buying games again because it's just, I don't know. Like I said, you know what's out there. You, you can kind of cap yourself off. What I do these days is I, I follow specific games. I don't do too much lot searching anymore at the moment because I've already got so many, like, lot kind of like stuff sitting around of like shovel not shovelware but like you know lower end games that i have doubles of it it's like i can't i just can't have that stuff sitting around too much anymore i'll still get a lot if it's a great deal but i just i'll make a list of games that i want for a specific console so like right now on ps2 i have a list of sort of like mid to low tier games and uh i'll just either uh search for them randomly on on ebay once in a while or make a search that will alert me and that's it that's it for the day you log in do a couple of searches on a few of the games and if nothing's there no no blue dots lit up letting you know something new's been listed okay done with ebay for the day uh it's just it's kind of important to have those limits on ebay and not do what most of us did in 2020 sit there endlessly refreshing ebay for new lots and just <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people went down that rabbit hole like i did and have to end up with so much stuff that you got to offload at conventions and everything but, but just to also yeah. one thing to circle back on what foots was saying earlier if you're looking to sell games do it at a convention mm-hmm. i only sell games at conventions now because it's so easy you don't got to worry about condition because that person even if someone buys a game for me at a convention and i if it's a game that is like 30 40 bucks at least i'm gonna make them open that up and look at it even if they're like no I'm like, did you check the condition? No, I'm good. I'm like, no, open. I'm going to show it to you because mm-hmm. I want people to see what they're buying. Like, no, I don't want them to regret it, you know, later on the next day or something with like, oh, it's got more scratches than I thought. Yeah, convention price and in general, pricing has come down a little bit now. So it's like you're seeing a lot of things kind of return to 2020 levels right now, both in terms of pricing, participation, people buying and selling. Like I was at Portland Retro Game Expo. They finally opened it back up and they had it again this past October. <clears throat> and it was the first time they had it after they had closed down for a couple of years. And it was just crazy to see the range of pricing, right? Like it was, you had you had pricing from 2020, you had pricing from, twe- you know, before then, or, I'm sorry, you had pricing from 2020 and then peak, you know, 21, and then now at, you know, levels that have come back down. And it was just crazy because you could tell the sellers, you know, since they hadn't sold or, you know, they hadn't participated in a lot of conventions because, you know, they weren't happening. Like their pricing, was, you could just see stuff frozen in time eras, right? Like it was like, oh, here's pre, you know, 2020 t- pricing, here's post 2020 pricing. And it was like everything in between. It was the first time at Portland retro game expo where i just saw this huge range for a game like you could walk around the floor and find einhunder for you know as low as 100 and then as high as 220 right because it was representing the different pricing that had been going through you know the time period over the last couple of years it was insanity that people weren't like you know they didn't have the ability to go and like double check other prices they just went to the conventions like hey let's start offloading stuff it, it was a crazy uh portland retro game expo in october so yeah, and that's that's the trouble with con- like if you go to a convention like that and you're bringing a lot of games, sometimes you just don't have time to recheck the prices on all your stuff. Like I let a copy of Armored Core Two go for twenty bucks because that was the price before the prices uh, to blew be fair, up that, because of the new to one. To be fair though, that con was before the Armored Core hype, right? So it's not like you really missed it or anything. Because oh you no, did, that, you you took the time to research all your game. No, prices, well yeah, that price I did. Like I brought that price was from before Armored Core Six or whatever got. Uh, 
like you know the, the hype trailer the announce but when i took that same like lot of games with that game in it the the new trailer had already been like shown it's just that i i, I was like uh i didn't take the time to recheck the price i totally should have not like it's a big deal or anything like i'm sure the person yeah. that got it was happy but um, yeah, at the time I could have sold it for like 80 instead of 20 or to 15, 20, whatever I was asking for it. But that's the thing. Not everybody, these sellers, they ain't going to sit there repricing everything year by year. Yeah. The way that I would approach it is if a year has passed, okay, you might want to recheck your prices. But if it's within the same year, unless you know there's like some kind of remake that came out or something that would have drove the price up or down, then just, just let it be. You know, you might take a hit of five or $10, but you know, it is what it is. Oh, so, I mean, speaking of modern remakes, though, I mean, it's a very good point that you bring up. I mean, you guys have all been noticing these. Obviously, there's been so many remakes or modern remakes of like older retro games. How how do you guys feel about modern remakes in general? Because I have some strong opinions about this personally. <laughs> well, I, I guess the best example is the Klonoa collection that came out recently where we were trying to theorize like what was going to happen to the price of the original Klonoa games and my original assessment on it was pretty much and it pretty much came to be true whenever a remake sort of like one ups the original version like if it maintains what the original version feels like to play while just making vast improvements to it in general so in the case of Klonoa 2 it is the same exact game except the visuals just look a lot more cleaned up and nicer at least in my opinion that's going to drive the price of the original game down Especially if the original version was only available in, in one way, and Klonoa 2 is only available on the PS2. So now that you've broadened the platforms by exponentially, like that collection's available on everything, that means that nobody is, people aren't going to have to funnel into the PS2 version. So it's going to lighten the load. It's going to reduce the price, which it did. Klonoa used to be 100 to 120. Now that game, Klonoa 2, Klonoa 2, yeah, Klonoa Klonoa 2 is right? now like yeah. 50, 60, like maybe even better if it's not the best condition. But complete polar opposite. You look at Klonoa 1, where this remake, in my opinion, is... I don't want to sound like dramatic about it, but I think it is much worse than the original Klonoa because they do more than just change the graphics. They change the way that the voice acting is delivered. They change just the emotion of the cutscenes. The graphics are vastly different because it's no longer using the sprites and 3D backgrounds. It's like now this like very sterile 3D in general like 3D look to it. Great game if you've never played Klonoa before. Like it's an okay version to play as your first Klonoa, but the original price of the PS1 Klonoa has not really seen too much of a price change because people realize the value <laughs> of the original preservation of the original version of Klonoa versus this not quite as good reimagining of the of the game's like presentation well it's it's weird to think about the route that these game companies can take right like it used to be you had a game an old an older game and you could remaster it right you could remake it or i guess i mean i don't know is hd remaster a so third kind of option there's so <laughs> many different ways you can discuss a remaster slash remake so like you have that port where it's just like okay here's the exact same game just like spruced up a bit with better loads like a little bit cleaner like crisper graphics but it's the same exact game 
but then you Hell, have the sometimes next... they just go like here's a widescreen version of the yeah. exact same thing <laughs> and, and then you have then you have one that takes it a, a little bit further like i guess a good example is Mega Man battle network legacy collection that just came out what where it is the original versions of the games but they have quality of life features where they make it like maybe a little easier to defeat enemies they they add in uh like online features again or for the first time or they they just do little things to improve it and then you I have mean, that's the just one... like that's just a collection at that point right yeah. like a re- like a collection of but, but it games. is still kind of like a, a remaster in some way i mean it, it's just just so many ways to describe this right and then you have the klonoa where it is the original version of the game but the graphics are completely changed and then you have the do ones even, where did they even include the original actual like original version of the game somewhere on that collection like that no, you can no. access to play no that collection See, I, that, is strictly I really, new i I really wish that a lot of these remasters, remakes, whatever you call them, collections, like at the very, very least, I would say that you have to include the original copy of the game. Don't you feel that that would be like a really good bonus thrown in I think in some cases, though, it's it's not worth their time because the people that are buying them, they're probably buying them because of the updated visuals. Like if you buy the Klonoa collection, are you really going to go play a emulated arguably worse looking version of Klonoa 2 and you could play the new spruced up version. <laughs> now, Klonoa 1, yes, it would be nice to play the original version on there, but then they've got to emulate PS1 and then that's where things probably get shaky. It's not worth the time for them to try and like, you know, throw in the OG yeah. version. I don't I don't know. Who I guess, knows? I guess you're right. You're saying it appeals to such a small segment it's not worth their time, but I don't know. It just, it would see, be so awesome to see like where, where it came from to where it is to where it's going. You know what I mean? Like I always felt like that'd be awesome. The best remasters are the ones that let you press one button to swap between OG and new mode. <laughs> yes, that's what I want. <laughs> what game would you want that for, though, Branch? Right? I mean, like for your like to you to your point. I mean, I, I have never. I don't think we've ever talked about this, you and I. But in terms of your like, do you even care to play new versions of uh, of like? classic games that you love like i mean i guess you know like well what are some games that you've played that like do you even care about remakes or re you know remasters in that sense i honestly don't and so we're talking about this and i'm trying to think exactly what you asked me what would i want to see and one of my favorite games of all time is ducktales for the nes and what's ironic is this game got that full remake <laughs> treatment like it, it was yeah. the same game but like remade from the ground up voice actors and everything and i still haven't bought it and it really shows <laughs> me that i don't care and DuckTales is like probably one of my top three NES games of all time, top three, you know, top five, top ten of all time games for me. And so I think that speaks to the fact that I just don't care about the remakes. They don't, they don't tickle the nostalgia enough to make me want to, you know, shell out some money for it. That's weird. I like. I wonder what was it like? You've seen the game, right? The remaster itself. Like, yeah, what, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. it nothing. It's just that I know it's the same game, and honestly, I just prefer the original. And I think that just speaks to how important nostalgia really is for me in the retro game collecting hobby more so than the i want to see this game that i like improved which is like stri- you love, strange like for example you love metal gear solid that's like i mean that's like one of my oh, top yeah. like five games of all time and you know there's some chatter out there about a, a possible remaster in some way like would that be something you think that would draw you in just because i mean you're saying ducktales is one of your favorite games as a kid that can draw you in so could something like that draw you in or would it be the same kind of feeling you you think I think I would. Def- I, I have a standing order that I must buy every single release of Metal Gear Solid in North America. <laughs> so unfortunately, I will have to buy it. Although I did stop well, at. I get you have to buy it, but would you be excited about something like that to play? It, you know what I mean? I, I think I would be excited about it because I really enjoyed the jump in graphics, even from PS3 to PS4. And 
I was really excited about how well presented the game was uh, in that current, you know, that new generation, the PS3 generation. So I think I would be excited, yeah. Because even even Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, I was really excited to see the 3DS version of it and experience the game that I love, my favorite game, in a new way. And that really did add as much as annoying as the 3DS's 3D visuals are from a, you know, just a perspective of keeping it in focus i still enjoyed the experience despite the shortcoming so yeah i think i guess it depends on the franchise and metal gear for me i think it gets a pass it just gets a pass for me i'll buy everything metal gear I, i'm a sucker i can't help it ah, yeah, i'm with you like modern remakes like something like god i'm trying to like think of something like if they were to like i'm dying for a new crimson skies for example like i would love to have a updated high definition remaster just give me the original game just make it look better and nicer and you know true widescreen like i would that would be something i'd be all over. those are my has... favorite cons what's up i said those are my favorite kind of remakes where it's oh, just yeah, the og game. version mm-hmm. nice widescreen nice and clean and crisp like the, the best example is you know my favorite game is eco so you have the PS2 version Eco, then you got the PS3 version. PS3 version is just the game that I love, just better looking in widescreen, much crisper. But the, here's the problem, and I was going to mention this too for you, Brunch, which might tie into like some of your decisions on not wanting to play a new version, is how sometimes when you play a new HD remake remaster, in the sense of like, you know, it's the original game just kind of spruced up a bit, not like full on like Resident Evil 2 remake style it can make you not ever want to return to the original version of the game, which has happened to me with Eco. Anytime I think about playing Eco now, I only want to do the PS3 version because it looks the best. It plays the best, like visually with the widescreen. I have almost no reason to go back to my favorite game of all time on the original release. There's just, there's not a lot of reasons to do it. So I guess it dep- with DuckTales, it's different because that's like a much more drastic remake, but uh, it makes you think, right? Like, let's just say that they come out with a, uh, I, I mean, I guess they kind of already did it with Snake Eater, but let's just say that OG version of Metal Gear, not with any kind of like additional content or anything. If they just released OG Metal Gear with better load times, uh, just like slightly better textures, kind of still preserving a sort of like an in between, I guess, of of PS One and, and Twin Snakes, would you ever go back and play the PS One if they made like a really nice updated version of like the PS One version with widescreen or something? I. I, I think I would just because of how much I enjoy. Like we were talking earlier about how the, the, the new retro games are using that polygonal <laughs> PS1 look and feel. I love that look and feel. Like I, that to mm-hmm. me is like essential 3D <clears throat> retro you know, aesthetic. And so for that reason, yes. But I, would, I still want to play the, the version of Metal Gear Solid you just described and I'm already pre-ordered I, I for guess it. It's, I guess it's a little different when it comes to PS1 and PS2 because, yeah, you're right. That is true. PS1 games do have that very nostalgic, like, warping, kind of, like, blocky yeah. tr- PS1 look. But PS2 games, they're a lot more, like, fuzzy and blurry. So when they mm. get that HD treatment, like, look at Shadow yeah. of the Colossus. You yeah, know how I'll hard it one... is to go back to the PS2 version <laughs> no, of that no, no, game? No. Never. I'll do, I'll do you one better, Pete. There's absolutely one extra part of this that you can add to the equation that you would want to go back to the originals. And I'm telling you this right now. Plug in, like, for any of you guys, plug in your PS1 or PS2 into a good CRT. Like I'm talking about one, for example, like my PlayStation two is hooked up to this uh, Sony BVM monitor. It's a professional broadcast studio monitor. It is absolutely the definitive display to use when you want to play a 480i resolution game. And 90% of all PS2 games run in this 480i interlace mode is what they call it. And there is a certain look and a certain like just way it's presented 
in 480i because 480i has this weird kind of like high flicker interlace mode but it makes everything look super crisp in a strange like muted way it's really hard to describe and you guys if any, I mean, if you guys grew up playing ps2 on like a crt you probably know what i'm talking about but if you were to sit down and play your favorite ps2 game or even going back even ps1 games kind of have something similar to this vein if you hook it up to it like a high quality crt I guarantee you, you will want to go back and play like a lot of your original games, even if there are like, you know, remakes or remasters right now. I mean, if you get the chance, you know, or if I ever get the chance to show you guys, you will you will absolutely know what I'm talking about once you play it. And I'm telling you, it is a, it's a life changing experience to play the original consoles on the type of display that they were designed for. And the PS2 is the PS2 really stands out. Because a lot of the ways we play PS2 now, right? We try to upscale it. We try to deinterlace it. We try to you make know, it look HD good for stream. Exactly, Where, whereas, right? like when you're playing on a CRT, only you're appreciating it. The stream may not get the best kind of like representation of it. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like exactly. for me, when I use S video, for me, as long as it looks good for the stream, like I'm actually really happy with S video with PS2 oh, with yeah, my it setup. Looks it looks fantastic. It does. So I see what I see what you're saying. It's just a matter of man, can you fit a CRT in your streaming setup? Like <laughs> for some people, obviously they're going to be playing a PS2 on a CRT instead of a HD TV. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like like most things in our hobby, it's not ideal, but damn, it, it, I, I think it's worth it. In the I end. think both experiences are they're separate experiences the crt and then the hd if i were you know remade version of metal gear solid one with up like, yeah. I, I would take you take metal gear solid one put it on that uh metal gear solid four guns of the patriots engine and yes i will buy the heck out of that that's my game i will buy it and i will play it but i will still go back to ps1 version every so often and enjoy that experience as well no absolutely I mean, I have a. What's your thought on this? What's are you? Do you care at all? <laughs> I mean, I have a CRT, but uh, first of all, it's so you don't play on that. You don't. You don't play I on do. that CRT though. No, huh? I, I do. I do. Uh, I do, especially when we play on Xbox um, X Link online. Oh, of course. Uh, but my, yeah. I mean, CRTs, uh, they're pretty hard to get by, and I mean, I like my CRT. Space. It's, it's yeah. nice and big, but. <laughs> It's, it's, it has an issue. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> the problem is it's nice and big as well, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's got like some flickering and it's it's blurry. And mm. at this point, I'm like, my vision is blurry. Anyway, like the CRT is going to change anything. <laughs> yeah, you, you pretty much have to become a, a CRT technician when you own one. So, yeah, I can yeah. definitely see your my, point My there. big old CRT, it has like this wavy effect on it where like, towards the side of the screen it'll kind of like warp and oh man yes. it's so distracting I, got, like, <laughs> you probably have like something magnetic near it oh, or something. i'm sure it's something <laughs> like some unshielded speakers you also run into like this the size dilemma of crt yeah. you no, want they're, really they're big massive. right you want really <laughs> yeah. big but then it's like oh shit this thing is massive <laughs> but then you're like okay let's save some space but then the little crts are like damn this is actually really small yeah. so getting that good in between <laughs> is so hard to do with a crt these days it is a tough balance. Uh, I will. I will not. Yeah, you are. You're absolutely right there. But like I have it. a. I have a cute little CRT that I will bust it out when I. Because there are some games I can't do music rhythm games on PS One or PS Two or anything without a CRT. It's just impossible. I try. I learned that recently with Space Channel Five on PS Two. I cannot oh, do it. Yeah, Guitar Man, was... one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> impossible to play on HD TV. 
but like I, I will whip it out. But man, is it? It's small. It's a, it's a small that, little TV. Space Channel Five is a very eye-opening experience when you try to play on something modern, for sure. Like that oh, is the man. one game that I mean, there's just there's there's no there's no quarter given. You know what I mean? Like there is no leeway. You no get visual that indicators, <laughs> so you can't even tell when you're like pressing the wrong way. It's just like all by ear. Yeah, I, I never really, I wasn't really big into Space Channel Five because of that reason. I did not, I did not like appreciate the mechanic, the Simon Says style mechanic, just because it was like you were saying, no visual indicators, right? I mean, it was essentially all audio. But after, after you know, I played it for, let it sit for a couple years. I guess I got around to. Did you play it, it when it not, launched not back ideal. in the day, or was that a game you discovered later on, Bovine? Like, was, what, what was your experience with those kind of rhythm games at that point? Well, rhythm. I mean, I've I've loved rhythm games from. I mean, I guess the very first rhythm games were like when it was early PS One, uh, and I was importing a lot of games from like this local Japanese or this local video game import shop. It's where I got like my first copies of Guitar Freaks and uh, Beat Mania, and they were kind of like my first forays into like the OG rhythm music games. So like I've been, you know, and I and I've loved all rhythm music games since then, moving forward, and you know you there's two big parts to it right one is like the extra peripheral they always try to sell you you know when you play a rhythm game whether it be like a dj controller a keyboard a fake guitar or some drums whatever it may be there's that part of it but then there's the second part of it which is just you know the actual music and aesthetics itself in tune with the gameplay so like i've, I've been a big fan of them um you know for as long as i can remember from the ps1 days and with space channel 5 like i remember I remember seeing it for the Dreamcast near launch because it was, the, I think it was near launch window game. It yeah, wasn't necessarily it was. a launch game. Pretty yeah, sure right. close. Yeah, so it was really close to it. And I was like, oh, this looks amazing. I can't wait to get it. And then when I got it, I brought it home. There was two parts of it I didn't like. It was the sound effects. Like everything had to be accompanied by a high pitched anime voice girl sound effect. You know, like that part of it was kind of <laughs> ear piercing to me. But the gameplay itself, like I, I don't know what I was doing wrong. Like I, I like I didn't get what they were trying to do in terms of the gameplay because you know by then you know games like Parappa were really big in my mind, um, like uh, <clears throat> like the PS2 games like Amplitude and Frequency, Frequency. Like they were really yeah they were really big in my mind. And so when I got to that game, it felt like a step back. When in reality it was trying to do something new and innovative, and I should have appreciated it a little bit more at that time. But yeah, it just it took me a while because I I couldn't get into that aesthetic. It was just too too waifu-ish to me it was like way too weeby but you know after a while i did come back to it i, I was i was able to kind of appreciate the gameplay part of it which you know it's just it's very tight controls right it's like insanely tight controls for a music rhythm game which i appreciate so we'll take your love for music rhythm games up to that point when you tried space uh channel 5 and subtract all of it because i had no like honestly space channel 5 was one of the first retro games that i played rhythm wise with a controller i think uh, mm -hmm. And I did not, just like you said, I did not do well, did not know why I wasn't doing well. I thought it was me the whole time. And so, and I switched to my CRT and I still had no success. So I was really frustrated <laughs> by that. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm happy to hear that I was not the only one because I really wanted to love that game, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it wanted and it didn't do a good job of telling me. I would love that game. I love the style of it, like the, the over the top bosses and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's it's not one of those music rhythm games that has probably aged particularly well, especially with how easy music rhythm games are now to kind of get into. Yeah, it's almost not even like a true rhythm music game in some ways. Like I don't even like kind of put yeah. it in that same class of those of the classics and the greats out there. It's just, it's just a it's a it's a it's a Simon Says game, right? Well, doesn't doesn't Busta Busta Move or whatever do something very similar with Simon Says style inputs if I'm remembering right? <laughs> 
It is, but at least it's visual, right? right so you right. can see exactly what they're asking for. And and there is only they only force you to come down on the fourth beat, right? So it's like you can jam all the controls in as long as you get it in by that fourth beat. So there is an element of rhythm still too that I feel still makes it classify into that, into those like style of games. Hmm. Well maybe we'll get a modern remake of Space Channel Five that follows modern uh, music <laughs> games close, yeah, like exactly. For us people who want to enjoy <laughs> no. it but just can't get behind the controls, all they got to do is just loosen the constraint yeah. of like the input timing. It's just bigger so input windows, right? Mm-hmm. But but see, that's the problem. Right? If they widen the input wheels in Space Channel Five, or the input um, windows in Space Channel Five, then it'll sound weird, right? Isn't that like kind of like the big thing? Honestly, they just need to do it by like 0.5 seconds or something. Like it doesn't need to be too drastic. So? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is about that game. I'm very love hate on it. And then, you know, there's tons of fans on that game. But I find that tons of fans of that game, they are not into other rhythm music games, which is kind of maybe another, another telling fact about that series. So I don't know. <clears throat> Sorry for all you Space Channel Five I fans. I mean, out there. they did uh, port it over onto the Xbox 360 because I do have it on disc. But it's oh, like yeah, I have the that question, one too. I haven't played it. Did they really change anything about the? We must uh, I think it, if it's like the Crazy Taxi as a straight emulation, there's no change. So that's, uh. I haven't played it yet, the Space Channel 5 one. Oh, wait. They did a, what, they repackaged it or yeah. remastered it? For yeah, they did a compilation Dreamcast classic for Xbox huh. 360. Yeah. Damn, I've never even seen that. Interesting. The last I remember it was the PS2 sequel. Like, that was the last thing I remember seeing about it. Oh, and the Game Boy Advance version for some weird reason. <laughs> but yeah, to um, come back onto the remaster, Wii port, whatever you can call them. Um, like, I do understand the struggles from like a dev point of view and the copyright laws that make it so that some games can't even be remastered nowadays, even if all the fans wanted to um but like for example to come back to DuckTales um I hated the original with all my heart <laughs> and I did play oh, no. how do you hate DuckTales? I hated how? it like you you're can, not heartless um I, I remember the Game Boy versions of uh Duck, DuckTales both of them and um I I played them, but it's like I it felt like I'm punishing myself playing those. I, I did not <laughs> like them at all. So I was excited to have on my Wii U the DuckTales Remastered version, and it's all colorful. And I played it. I finished that game. I loved it. Um, really? Yes. <laughs> oh yes, I did love it. Um, it's it's not the same game, but that was like kind of the goal of actually playing the game because otherwise, <laughs> if it was a one of like just port it straight over and I'll change my little, I would. Oh my god, no, I wouldn't even have touched it. But yeah, didn't they change the control? Everything. I thought I haven't played the remaster yet. They changed the control like scheme, right? Like the whole bouncing the, the, thing. The, 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 the uh, like the style the looks of it it's it's colorful now also like the controls felt more forgiving for myself um and i can't put my finger on it but it's all shiny and i'm actually (laughs) that type of video game player like i tend to play more modern games because i like shiny it's new it's shiny it's beautiful it's colorful and i do like that and it's also simple like yes I do have my CRT. It's a huge 
Chungus just sitting there on the table. But I've got my HDTV in my bed. And it's so comfy and it's so easy. Just plug in the cable and you're good to go. It's so easy to play. So yes. We're gonna lose Foots to full yeah. Foots is going full the modern. Of the okay, but I mean hey <laughs> Today it's modern. Tomorrow it's gonna to be retro. Like you know, I'm True. still in the you're same finic- vibe. You're finicky in that way, right? Yeah, you're finicky in that way. You'll go back and forth, right? <laughs> but- my, my experience with the Ducktales remaster is like really interesting because I waited in line at one of the PAXs I went to to play that game. I waited in line about an hour and a half to almost two hours to play that game, and I, I was all excited. I'm all hyped. I'm like, oh my god, this looks so good. And then I play it, and they only allowed you to play it for like five minutes. So I played the game for five minutes, got my poster, and I felt so defeated. I'm like, what did I just do? <laughs> I just waited in line two hours to play a super simplistic, like, you know, nice little platformer. But I'm like, God, I'm never doing that again. And I think that was the last time I ever went to a PAX. Well, never, no never bubsy. again. <laughs> no, it, but yeah, I don't had to wait. Have any of you, I didn't mean to cut you no. off, once, but have any of you been to a. Uh, a PAX or any kind of like event like that where you like just wait in line to play games like that? No, I used to. I. In one of my previous mm. jobs, I would go to electronic. I went to E3s a couple times, but uh, the funny, I had to work most of the shows, so mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to play a lot of the games, but I do remember standing in line to play uh, some 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 crap that wasn't worth it. I know that. Oh no, it wasn't even it wasn't even waiting in line to play a game. It was waiting in line to like get a free tchotchke or something. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to play oh, the game. <laughs> now, let me tell you the the worst part about going to those things. I used to get press badges, you know, in my YouTube heydays where you know I can just ask for a press badge and mm-hmm. bring a little. I didn't even have to bring a camera or anything. It's just like you know, just in case I covered it on YouTube. You know, they'd hook you up with a press badge. You get in early. But the worst part about going into a place like that with a press badge, you walk through those indie game halls. Literally, all of them are like, "Hey, come on over and play my game." I'm looking at it. It's like this freaking jank ass puzzle platform. I'm like, uh, okay. And then they're there. You know, they'll spend like half an hour explaining the game. It's like, oh god. You don't no more press badges. You don't, you don't want, want to be, be rude. rude and excuse yourself, yeah. right? But... Oh man, it's like man. I just know that game is not for me. But they like rope you over because they see the press badge. They don't know who you're. You're like press yeah. for. Yeah, I, I so I haven't gone to any of those shows as like a straight up customer or like a fan or, or a consumer or anything like that. Just big crowds like that, especially these days, right? It just seems like definitely not worth it. So You ever been to one of those brunch? I'm trying to think. I feel like I haven't. Uh I think the closest I've probably ever came to that was going to Epcot in the nineties when uh Sega Channel was being introduced and I think that was something they were presenting, oh, but that was just a theme park that wasn't an actual. Yeah, that's pretty event. cool. Wait, so you were there when they were like demoing Sega Channel? I, I, the memory is very Vague fuzzy. Memory, like, yeah, yeah, but I remember they had a Sega uh, pavilion in the Interventions section of the park, and it was a huge. You can look it up on YouTube. There's people who have you know home movied it, mm-hmm. um, and they they were talking about uh, Sega Channel and just you know just mind. And that was the first place actually I learned about DVDs back in the early '90s. Uh, a lot of technology they had there, but yeah, Sega Channel was something that I was happy was in my life when it came out because you can't even, I mean, you can get the converter, but you can't experience it. And it actually, that's a lost opportunity. I feel like Sega nowadays, the new Sega, the new way that they think about, you know, connecting with the community, that seems to be right up their alley nowadays. Oh, God, yeah. Could you imagine a modern Sega channel, like yeah. on Steam or their own service where they have these this plethora of classic games and they can just kind of like rotate them in and out and make it sort of like a, a limited kind of service where like, oh, this month we got uh, a rare demo of 
because they, they released some on Steam, right? Like there was this rare demo version of the uh, an unreleased Steam, Golden Axe right? game. Yeah, yeah Golden Axe, <laughs> they called it. Okay, <laughs> put that up on a Sega Channel kind of service. Make it playable for one week only, and then that's it. Pretty sure that's what they're using Switch Nintendo Switch Online for, aren't they? <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, but I think Sega can get away with it with the Sega Channel branding. No, but you, but you gotta you gotta go full meta, Pete. You gotta have them release the Sega Channel adapter for the Sega Mini console. <laughs> they can do it. Absolutely, make it make it a physical add-on. Forget the the digital add-ons like what Switch has. That's how you make your money back. <laughs> Foots, do you have any kind of like conventions by you? Sort of like a PAX where you go and there's indie games um... and like anything like that there are but i haven't gone to any big like especially video game related ones um i did go to a few anime cosplay conventions and uh nintendo's pretty big there like they have their own booth with um consoles and games you can test uh, but it it's that it wasn't really like a presentation of like oh this new upcoming game it's more like oh you want to buy this game that was released one year ago, I mean you still play them because then it's like okay do you have any goodies because <laughs> I really <laughs> want those goodies those exclusive yeah Nintendo that's how they goodies. usually get you now. It's like player demo, get this free little keychain. Oh or yes, oh yes. Oh, shiny stuff. And yeah, then they know. How I to mean, that's like a big convention about an hour away from where I live, and at first it was open to like usual visitors, and it was nice, but there weren't like too many brands just exposing new games. Like I remember the 3DS with Zelda: Queen of Time being exposed there before it came out. So you actually had a chance to test out the 3D. But sadly, uh, with that convention, it turned to really into something professional, where nowadays it's only devs who go there, and they do, like, dev, I don't know, three-day, just creating your own game. And it's, it's really just... It's not open for just normal humans anymore, which is a little bit sad, but... Yeah, no. Kind of a shame now, since those shows will all be those all those shows will all be dying, right? I mean, E3's pretty much been canceled. It's dead. I mean, it's been dead for a couple of years, but they finally nailed the last. I was sad about that. Honestly, like I was kind of hoping. Yeah, I was pulling through. I guess from a streaming perspective, Mm. I always liked streaming, like the the allure of that E3 week where it's like you got that schedule, you you get all the trailers, and now it's like yeah, you still get that same effect with all the new events that happen but they're so like all over the place like last time that they they did this it was like okay there's an event happening today at this time and then oh wait there's another one like five hours from now and another one tomorrow here for like a half an hour and then oh this this one's doing it the same day but they're covering like 50 percent of the same games because everybody's trying to do their own thing now and it's a lot less organized a lot more confusing whereas with e3 it was like okay you got the Microsoft press conference at two hours later, we got the Sony and then tomorrow you got the Nintendo and then you just have that general coverage of the games that are there on the show floor. It was very easy to keep up with, very easy to follow. Yeah. They were, they were unscripted events. Now you get these sterile Nintendo presentations with the white backgrounds and they're all scripted and it's like, Oh, you know, snapping their fingers. Like it's, everything's pre-recorded now. Even the ones that attempt to appear to be live recorded, most of them, they're all pre-recorded. So you don't get the fun little E3 bloopers anymore. You don't get the mistakes. You don't get that human element of these, these shows feeling like they're happening in real time. Everything is just all pre-recorded now. True. True. 
true. Like I, I it's. I, I liked how it was scheduled as well, but it's like all about like the hours that and like the awkwardness that goes into it, and just makes some really, really funny clips and scenes to rewatch. Like for day, like for years, I'm gonna go look back on some E3 clips and just gonna die laughing. Um, the only show I really enjoy, I think it's Devolver, isn't it? Who do like a yearly. Present, like it's like a, their own mm-hmm. show, like a little, little, little yes. show. Yes, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's more like a short film oh, yes. now, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only presentation where I'm like, okay, it's sterile, but it's a show, it's like a movie at this point, it's like a series. And every year, it's like, okay, what are they gonna do now this year? But the worst is like, uh, the hype kind of dies down for me, yeah. Yeah, the 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 in person big crowd convention shows. I mean, they're they're all dead, right? I mean, even something like yeah. PAX, which is still there, but like even it feels like those shows are kind of devolving in that way, right? Where they're just like, hey, here's all the main content that we're just gonna put up on a video screen somewhere, right? Like a pre recorded tape or something. So, I never thought I'd say it, but I I feel like I'm starting to get nostalgic for Ubisoft press conferences. With the- <laughs> The silly people running around with guns, like what was that Nerf game they were playing on stage, and like the just absolutely cringeworthy presenters. I miss that mm. stuff so much. Yeah, there's an element to it that is definitely lost now, unfortunately. So I don't know. Maybe you know, like everything else is cyclic, right? It may come back around when people get tired of these stale. You know, it's like watching a golf tournament on a weekend now with E3. It's like all these different you know channels are showing different things, and you just go to watch them whenever you have time, or you follow whichever one they're. They tend to be live streaming at any point in time. Just there's definitely a, a lot of a lore lost to it. But now. but now you have these companies that think they're they're too good for E3 week, right? Like I think there were a couple of them. Last year, I don't remember who, I don't want to say like the wrong thing, but I think there's these these companies like like Nintendo, I think might have been one of them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but they'll they'll like skip this sort of like Suedo E3 week where they don't want to get caught up in the the sea of other gaming news, so they won't release like a direct style video that week because well they mm. they kind of want it all for themselves. They'll release it a week early or a week late or something, so that way they kind of get the press coverage all to themselves. I mean- isn't that essentially how Nintendo Directs were born? It was out of that, right? Where like it was mm-hmm. one year where they were like, no, nope, we're gonna have it like a couple weeks after or before like the E three stuff with everyone else. We're just gonna do it totally separate. And then yeah. they've just done it that way ever which, since. Which is why E three now is like it's not really so much the the three big dogs. It's more so like a lot of indie focus, which is yeah. fine. Uh, I don't mind the indie focus, but it just yeah, feels like Nintendo the soul has been ripped out of E three when you don't have like the big console war kind of element to it anymore. It's dead, folks. E3, done. I've been enjoying some uh, watching some old uh, Nintendo, uh, some Space World presentations for the N64 lately. That's been my like my uh, my guilty <laughs> pleasure, and it's really really fun to see the differences. So that's my that's what I'm going to do when E3 is dead. Uh, you would have you would have fell in love going into one of those shows. I'm oh, sure, I'm sure. Brush, like back in those days. Oh, they are just they were just so over the top, right? <laughs> so over the top, and it's like walking into whatever the new Super Mario Land is right now that they have, uh, you know, at the amusement parks, which. Gotta be, gotta say, it does not look interesting to me at all. Being huge, you know, video game fans growing up in that era, like I look at uh, the Super Mario Land parks that have opened. Like, yeah, I know you're big into theme parks, right, French? Like, I assume that you have some uh, 
you're looking forward to you know visiting them with your kids or for yourself pretty soon. I, I am 100%, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the reason I think is because those parks, those those lands are not designed for us. They're designed for young kids with and people with families. You know, they're not meant for the hardcore gamers. And it's kind of unfortunate that that we as a market, you know, considering that we are who built their industry, you know, built them into what they are today, we've been ignored wholeheartedly, like without even. Uh, apology you know like the the same with the mario movie we've been ignored as a uh a, a, a group of people whom you know go to that movie for a particular reason we did not get what we what i think we were owed and so i feel as a, as a fan of nintendo a retro fan of nintendo i feel a little slated i don't know if that's just me wait now or... hold on we got to rewind this because there's a lot of people that are enjoying that mario movie so i think i see where you're coming from but what what was it like without getting into spoilers because i'm sure there's probably gonna be a lot of people here that haven't watched i haven't seen it yet (laughs) yeah like bovine but were you just did you feel that it was too kiddish was that mostly it like too much for the younger crowd and not like the nostalgic 30 somethings 100 percent. it was it was the story was very one-dimensional and that's fine you know the way that the story was constructed the film was put together the language that was used in the story it, it was a it's a very basic story it's pretty much we have one mission we're doing that one mission and i guess me coming from you know growing up in the 80s and nintendo and and you know the, the super mario brothers movie um you know i, I wanted to see more of an adult geared script, you know, something I don't, and I don't know how they would have done it, but clearly that this movie was made from top to bottom, written, cast, directed and animated for children. And I feel like maybe there was an intermediary that they could have kind of, you know, assaged our wants and desires for a Mario movie and to make it fun for kids as well. I think we'll get there. I think what it is, they definitely were marketing this and it seems to have paid off there. They definitely were marketing this movie to the super casual like mm-hmm. crowd where people are like, oh, yeah, I played Mario like 30 years ago in my childhood. I'll go exactly. see this movie. So I think for that purpose, I think it worked and the box office definitely shows that. I think going forward, we will start to see it evolve into like much more complex character development and stories because i guess maybe it's not the best example but look at the marvel universe movies like the the beginnings of what would eventually become the you know the the avengers movies um where they get to like super complex with character development they all kind of had humble beginnings with their sort of like initial uh character arcs and everything so i guess you can kind of view this mario movie as maybe eventually we'll see a mario sonic crossover or uh mario crossing over with like Kirby and Samus, like maybe we'll see a Smash Brothers type movie. Oh, can you imagine? Wait, hold on, hold, close all, <laughs> hold all the doors right now. We're calling it right here. Nintendo's gonna start doing their own Nintendo verse kind of oh, like, no. where you're gonna have that Kirby movie, you're gonna have that uh, Metroid movie, and then like they have this vision of 15 years down the line, we're gonna have a Smash Brothers type. Movie. Oh my god! It's oh my N- god! It's the NCU. <laughs> oh my goodness! You, you are you are half joking, but I'll be honest with you. I truly foresee yeah. that. Honestly, I think the next spinoff is gonna be a Zelda movie. I think for 100, percent they would be mm, foolish god. not to. It'll take them forever, but I no, it I will. agree. Like I am half joking, but at the same time, a Zelda movie would not do as good as Mario. Let's face it. But mm. you bring in Zelda. And then I don't know what's like another big thing that would Metroid. be Metroid. Yeah. Uh, Metro- but the, even for them, Nintendo, it's like that's kind of always struggled for them too with game Animal sales Crossing, over the years, movie. right? Like no. would people? Oh god, yeah. No, <laughs> Animal Crossing would be. Oh geez, Wii Sports. No, oh, my god, you yes. guys. <laughs> okay, I, I'm not going to be a party to this birth of the NCU anytime soon. <laughs> well, it's you just happen. take like three or four big Nintendo series, big tent poles, and right? then and they then, meet like, together for it. like this this grand like 
war with all the villains from each of those games. So King yeah. DDD. I, I feel Ganon. somewhere Kevin Feige's phone is ringing Bowser. off the hook right now. <laughs> Nintendo's on a hotline to him right now. It's like, can you build our NCU for us, please? <laughs> Nintendo Cinematic Universe, please. Oh, I truly yeah, believe... No, and the reason why I think that's happening is because the way that the theme parks are designed, if you look at the uh, structural design of the Mushroom Kingdom in the movie and the structural design of the park's Mushroom Kingdom, they are verbatim the same. So this is mm-hmm. there's a lot of forethought behind the synergy between the movie in the parks and oh, we know that illumination who has made this is looking you know craving their next big franchise because you know shrek has died puss in boots is they just put their last movie out for that uh the minions have been out forever this is the most logical I next think, step yeah. so yeah I it think is it's gonna very be safe to say this is the next big thing 100%. so you're telling me so having not seen the super mario brothers movie, you're telling me it doesn't like it, you can't watch it on two levels, one as a kid watching it or one as an adult, like a lot of the best like Pixar movies and things like that. It doesn't have that. I don't think you can separate your two points of view. I think you got to go into it looking to have fun and know that's a kid's movie and enjoy it for that. You'll get a few peppered in references as an adult. Some callbacks not, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but it's not for you. Their, their <laughs> callbacks are not so much the adult themes that you would find in a Pixar film that only adults would get. It's more exactly. so like... Look at this obscure-ass reference that only people that are probably in their 30s or 40s are going to get. Uh, it, it, that's precisely that what, it what it is. is. Precisely I'll take that is. for what it is, I guess. So, but yeah. Well, well, everyone look forward to the Super Smash Brothers like, you know, <laughs> brawl movie in 2034. I mean, I, I Smash Brothers it. Wii U. I love it. I mean, I watched Detective Pikachu and the movies. I lined up with all the kiddos to get my little booster pack. And I but Detective it. Pikachu, definitely, you could definitely enjoy detective pikachu on two levels though that was the that was the good part of the writing i feel in that movie right yeah but i mean it's pokemon it's 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 not the same it's not the same as mario and even zelda i mean zelda sounds good on paper but zelda can be pretty dark i mean i'm i'm thinking about majora's mask we are all dying and we're waiting for the three days and we are meeting our fate like heroes as long as they don't animate donkey kong i'm I'm fine don't already did he's in the movie (laughs) oh it's a mario brothers movie oh yeah that's right but you know it's not the version from like the dkc like series right so i'll be wait there's one rule that nintendo would have to break though if they released a zelda movie would they keep link silent in a movie Gosh. Oh my god. Just just have everyone else talk, right? <laughs> Keep it going, I'd say. I mean they would never have the balls to do that. Oh, that's but... a good one. Oh, I'm I'm calling it now. The trailer for the Legend of Zelda movie ends with Link getting ready to open his mouth to speak. <laughs> I believe it. Sold. <laughs> no, it's gonna be the it's gonna be that thing that everyone uses like what the and then it just blanks out. <laughs> and then it's gonna be Zelda CDI voiceover. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, that, that would be the best. <laughs> Perfection. I want I want that now. Uh, so so where did we end up on modern remakes? I don't even know how we got there. <laughs> modern remakes, yes. So modern remakes. I, I was I was kind of... You love them. You love them because they're shiny. Yes, I do like them because they're shiny. But also, I, I do appreciate some some remakes that have some quality of life. I'm thinking about the Final Fantasy games. Uh, they ported over... Oh, God, the Pixel remasters. Uh, the Pixel remasters, Did you play yes. this? But I'm not talking about those in particular. I do need to get to the Pixel Remasters, but even just 7, 8, and 9. Um, like, they they put in some quality of life improvements, like being able to skip and fast forward. And, I mean, it's... 
the th- weird thing is, I kind of feel like cheating in a way because I'm like just fast forward. Hold on, are you one of those boosters? You use the boosters? I, I, I click Where you like level up to ninety nine. Make everything fast. Uh, sometimes I'm like, oh uh, sometimes I'm even. See, I told you uh, there was something wrong. I, I knew those <laughs> kind of people I existed. Canceled, out, I told you. I'm even one of those people who are like, um, um, when I played nine. Yeah, the option as well, and I think they also did it on the other versions, uh, to not die. Uh, they they attack you, the boss just attacks you, and your HP bar doesn't budge, and you can't die in a battle. You know what, and you I'm guys? Like, why don't you just why don't you just right. ask for the autoplay feature? You hit play, and then it just plays the whole game for you <laughs> while you watch it. That's called a Twitch stream. <laughs> We're gonna have to start holding auditions for the first, the fourth uh, person in the podcast pretty soon. <laughs> At this point, Futsvogel's going off the modern mobile game cliff at this point. Yes, please give me the autoplay games now. I just want to say, my... for the record, I have started a playthrough of Final Fantasy VII with my wife on the Switch, and it gives you the option to max level, and I chose not to. That's just my choice. <laughs> I'm not judging oh you, Futsvogel. Oh, noble now. Okay, I hear you. It's fine. <laughs> but no, 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 I swear. And I realized that because I did replay Final Fantasy VIII a few years ago, before even all the remaster important stuff. And you, don't, you realize, once you have a fast-forward option, you realize how long those battles are god dang it <laughs> so yes i do appreciate come on you don't you don't want to see the same summon cinematics like a thousand <laughs> times in your playthrough well, i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with the fast forward stuff it's fun. more so the let's max out the level from the beginning of the game or become invulnerable or max out like something this or that like that to me i mean i could see if you're just looking to play through it and experience the music and the story then okay mm. but when you're trying to like actually play that's that i that's why it's fascinating to hear you talk about this because I was always like, man, are there people out there that would actually start this game like maxed out? It's a slippery slope. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I wasn't maxed out. I was just sometimes like some battles where I kept dying. I was like, all right, oh, I did this battle four times. I want to save and I just mm. want to yeah, call it. Yeah, I see it. what you mean there. But then it's like you, you kind of feel a little filthy in a way. It's like it's like who do you who it's like who are you trying to prove something to? If you're not like streaming it in front of somebody, it's like okay. I let's mean, just yeah, who knows? I could just do. pretend I completely bare knuckled the game. <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> but no, I I do appreciate the quality of life. But also when I play remasters, I am not a perfectionist and I am open to differences. Um, like, for example, Clonoa. I do remember when you fir- when you streamed the first one, I think it was the first one, at the end, you said that they actually changed the ending in the remaster and to mm-hmm. rewatch um, a playthrough of, like, the original. And it's like, I wouldn't know that. And I would be perfectly fine just playing the remaster because I never played the original. Like many of the games, it's like, oh, I just <laughs> give me the remaster because I, I'm not touching the original. It's too, it's, I'm too lazy for that. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay in, with in that. The, in the case of the Klonoa one ending, it was um, they changed the voice acting essentially. So like there was a ton of emotion yeah. to the point of like it was for its time on the PS1 the ending of Klonoa was like heart wrenching because the emotion of the characters voice acting was just like you had never heard anything like this before for a, for a made up language like the way that those characters conveyed their feelings through the end scene without spoiling it and you compare that to the new one they they stripped like certain scenes of them like screaming or crying or mm. like it doesn't sound the same. 
and it completely changes the, the in ending. my opinion, the emotions of the end of Kono. Yeah, it does. It does. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have known that because I would have just stuck with the Mii Master and maybe, yes, I would have passed by like the original meaning and, you know, some deeper things, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's like I kind of make a deal with myself that I'm playing the Sweet Master. It's not the original. If I do want the original, I'm just going to play the original. It's like Link's Awakening, Wii Master, the, the pixel version. Very cute. It's not the original. And I can just differentiate the two and just appreciate each version for what it has. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pro. I'm going to go back to my... I'm going back to my original statement here again. Play the original. <laughs> Play the original, and then, you know, as you go through and iterate up through the remasters and remasters, you can appreciate everything because you know exactly where you came from and where it ended up, at, right? So pop in that pop in that Final Fantasy 1 NES cartridge with all the messed up spells and hit point values and all the other issues that but it has. <laughs> the one thing we got to keep in mind, I think it depends what you grew up with. There's a lot of new generations now, people in their, you know, teens or 20s that are going back and playing retro stuff but if you tell them to go back and play something that has like a, a much worse performing version of the game when they could be playing something that remo- runs at a smoother frame rate like that could be a make or break for some mm-hmm. people so sometimes playing the original like the thing that i'm thinking in my mind is shadow of the colossus on ps2 by far the worst running version now yes that game is just sets the bar super high for what was possible on the ps2 so from like a historical perspective it's really cool to go back and see what was possible on that console but if you're telling somebody that might be new to going back and discovering ps2 games for the first time to play the ps2 version over say ps3 or heck even the the remake on the ps4 now i could see the difference between that because it's so drastic but i would i would say definitely try the ps3 version of shadow of the colossus before ps2 if you find yourself as one of those people that does tend to judge a game by the performance or the frame rate or or controls in general stuff like that like quality of life improvements if it's going to make you enjoy the game more as long as the game the core game remains the same i would argue that playing the quality of life improved version is you know still valid uh, people are starting to qualify some quality of life things to me that are just like game breaking things. Uh, and in my opinion, like when people say, "Oh, well, these are just quality of life improvements," I'm like, "You're you're you're spending a hundredth the amount of time that you would have when you originally would have played the game to not appreciate it as much." I mean, I get it totally. I'm, I'm ambivalent to these changes in some ways, just because I know. You know, there are some things where it makes complete sense, like running around lost in Fantasy Star 1's dungeons, right? Like, not everyone's going to want to lo- like go out and graph it all. So the, the ability to graph it now See, and yep, new yep. I had that right? experience. Well, no, in the case <laughs> of Fantasy both, Star 1, right? I am very happy that my first playthrough of Fantasy Star was on the Master System without an auto-mapping map because mm-hmm. that was such an insanely fun experience being told by freaking johnny millennium to oh go this way to go to this dungeon and he sends me to the wrong dungeon and i'm in there trying to map it out and i'm mapping the wrong dungeon and like i wish i could still find my my maps that i made for the my fantasy star one playthrough like it was insane trying to map that out by hand like with the way that you get warped around with the tiles and everything like but man what a unique fun experience you play the new one and it's like everything just auto maps for you. It's not the same thing. It really see? isn't. So I, I see what you're you saying. You have perspective, right? Because you had, you know, you went through the original one, and then you see the improvements, and then now you can make you can be the ultimate judge of but, how it affects the game. But right? so. a lot, a lot of these story games, a lot of people are not going to play a 20 hour game like Shadow of the Colossus 
And then unless they're like fanatical over it, they're not going to play through it 15, 20 hours and be like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to play the PS3 version. Again. And oh, now I'm going to play the PS4 version. <laughs> because if they're discovering this game for the first time, for us, it makes sense because we played them as they came mm-hmm. out, right? You played Shadow of the Colossus on PS2 day one. You played the PS3 version day one, but you have years of separation between these releases. So for somebody that is limited on time to tell them to play them in order for a game that might be kind of lengthy, it's like, man, just go with the version that speaks to you the most. Yeah. Yep, I would agree. It's funny you mentioned that particular game because I am planning on playing Shadow of the Colossus in the future, and I have both those versions, but I think I will still start with the PS2, even though you guys make it sound like it's frustrating as hell. No, 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 it's not frustrating. (laughs) It's it's a, like I said, that game looks, for PS2, it sets the bar super yeah. high for that console. To know like, that you're you... playing it on PS2 hardware while you're yeah. going through that game is just unreal. Oh, to I'm, know that, that I'm looking impossible. forward to that then. Uh, I'm yeah. forward to that. Like the chunky frame rate and the the just what it does with the visuals for PS2. But the just fact know that it runs is an, is just a miracle yeah. in itself, and that's why it needs to be played at least a little bit just to appreciate where they ended up. Or you know, because you know, you look at modern 3D games now, it's like they're dime a dozen. But back then, at that time and place, at that particular time and place, that game there was no equal. I mean, in all honesty, there literally was no equal to that game. It only existed on the PS2 in that space, and there was no other way to get that experience anywhere else in the video game in the video game space. I would say with Shadow of the Colossus, the best way to go about it in your case would be play the PS2 version. Since you're not concerned with like playing, you know, one of the better look, the best thing to do is play the PS2 version, skip the PS3 version entirely, and go straight to the PS4 remake when you're ready to see like that vast improvement. By the time yeah, I get I, my PS4, that'll be definitely retro. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, iter- iterating through the PS2 and the PS3 version, it, it's 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 a unique experience. I mean, just being a huge fan of that game, like just going through each version itself. Like I love playing through each one for 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 different reasons. So. It, I guess it's cool that the fact that modern remakes can. I guess that's what it is, right? They're iterating on some original experiences if you had them at that time, or they're just giving you the best quality of life version to play at this current you know, space. So modern remakes in general, I feel that despite the different routes that they all take and how many ways you can you know, slice the same pie, like that's the thing that bothers me. It's just like these developers, even like if one developer releases multiple remakes of several of their old games, like they're taking different routes. Like there's no consistency. Like, okay, there's a remaster here or there's just a high definition graphics pack in this game or there's a complete remake here like that's the thing that just throws me off it's like just i wish there was some more standardized like uh, requirements for these things but obviously it's you know it's impossible yeah. to set those things so that's the only thing that it's bugs me about those because then you know they get to price it however way they want to i mean it's too hard and i think um was it final fantasy 8 who had the issue that they didn't have the original files to actually do the port and they managed i don't know how to actually do the port. yeah, they like Frankenstein'd assets together, didn't yeah. they? Like they created new backgrounds, but used the same they sprites. It was just it was like a hot crazy mess together, and also like copyright laws is an issue, and especially for like music and stuff. It's uh, I do understand the struggles of it, but yeah, I, I tried to approach them really with the mindset that I've got the original, I can play the original if I really wanted to, but. The remaster is a new experience in today's age and culture. It's it's not going to be the same ex- experience. That's why I can always go back to, to the OG experience. But if you choose to. I can yeah. choose to just relax. It's, and I, I do understand also like 
the more I can't say purest, but like some game features that are gonna disappear, like the new Atrian Odyssey remake on the Switch. I do understand that they gonna take away the auto mapping because you only have one screen on the Nintendo Switch, whereas on the DS you had a dual screen and a touch screen to make mapping easier. But then again, it's like if it's gonna make someone either play the game or not play it at all, I still prefer that person to play a lesser version, but kind of ex- kind of dabble into it, you know. So see, here you are. See, Foots, you're now see you're you're trying to make the argument for a series that you loved growing up, right? So now it becomes a thing where you pull back a little and you're saying, okay, well now. You know, if you're going to throw in all these quality of life things, I don't think it's going to be right because it's a game experience that you wanted to preserve I, and like have other people experience the like way I, you played them. I, right? I never even played the Atrian uh, Odyssey games. I never played them, so it's like either I'm never gonna play the original games because yes, I do have them, but I do have the time to just pull in 150 hours <laughs> and have like notebooks of maps and like uh, scratching the my DS The lore of those screen. games scare you. Do I really want that experience? <laughs> or do I just want to sit back? You know, I'm, I'm, not, play, I'm not pushing the autoplay button yet. <laughs> but you know, I have something to make the experience a little bit easier. And then maybe if I oh, find the series interesting go back and play the hundreds of other Atrian games that haven't been ported. There'll, there'll be some button auto know, map it's... route me through this thing, right? I, I tried to. <laughs> or just do what Chemco does and make people pay for the ability to get accelerated through their RPGs. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, those are no, all DLC No, they, they have every Chemco game that releases, you pay money to get like triple experience, uh, increased like speed or something like more money triple the money from battles like they make you pay actual money when god. you've already bought the game like that is disgusting that's why i'll never support chem code my god see now that that's where modern remakes take the dark turn right that turn down the dark side that, at that point they should reason. be free to play and even then i mean no oh, that's... that's even worse because then the entire model will be that right right they're gonna just remove features and then give you this well they, they've already they're already version. making you pay for those accelerated freaking features when you already yeah. bought the game it's ridiculous <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I, I was almost turning the page there on modern remakes. And then Pete, you reminded me exactly why I don't well, like my, a lot of these. <laughs> my what I've always said about remakes is, I want release as many remakes as you can because somebody out there has that one obscure game that they just absolutely love, and you know they're hoping that it gets a remake, and then one day it does. So I'm there's a lot of people that are like, man, we get too many remakes, too many remasters. Release, open the floodgates, release as many as you want, because somewhere out there, someone will be really happy that a game was remade. And a lot of time, these remasters, remakes, the ones that are like, you know, fairly straightforward, they act as easy ways for these publishers or developers to fund future built from the ground up kind of ventures for their for their game releases so mm, it's, it's, um, pay attention game devs that's pete yeah. that's pete door asking for dark spire or baroque i think <laughs> i mean it's anything just really it's anything. like live a life as well i think like all the japanese people are like i will oh my god they remaking live a life i mean go back and release games that were locked yes. in regions that's that's where i figure remakes that's yes. the biggest advantage that's the that's where i'm rooting for modern remakes just give me stuff that was like you know this like limited run games right the other night they just released a 
the announcement they're going to do Hammering Harry, you know, one and two in a, in a re-release for the U.S. Now, granted, I think it's not even re-release. They're just going to release, like, the, the games on the NES cartridges. But, you know, they are doing a bunch of other games. Like, I think, Pete, you were mentioning, like, Bit Trip, right? It's going to get Trip a, World. Yeah, Trip World. Sorry. Bit Trip. <laughs> Trip World, yeah. Trip World is going to be released as a, I won't call it a modern remake, but they're going to be playable. And I, I don't even know what all the details are on what's going to be updated for the game. I haven't looked in entirely. Apparently, it's going to be, like, a DX version where it's yeah, going to be colorized or something which would be cool you know that that's an amazing thing to see like that's something right up our alleys but if they go the shantae route right where they start releasing trip world in like this new you know fully animated 2d side scrolling i mean even that i guess would be probably good. as long as they don't go full like 3d as a remaster kind of thing then i think i'm okay well, us talking about all these remakes and remasters reminds me of a podcast episode we recorded like two or three years ago. We were talking about the uh, the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, and we were talking about Nintendo probably doing the N64 Classic coming out. And I remember how I was so excited about the prospect of Microsoft and Nintendo getting together and singing Kumbaya and re-releasing GoldenEye with online capability. <laughs> and they did it, not in the same way, but they did do it. So uh, there is hope for us. Maybe maybe Nintendo is listening, and maybe people get his dream remastered yet. That's true. I mean, just 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 wait long enough, and everything will be everything old will become new again, right? This this entire industry is so cyclic. So they, <sighs> they do like our money. That's for sure. Well, we keep giving it to them. <laughs> I so know. Why not, right? I can't blame them. <laughs> I, that's, that was my the last point on modern remakes it just makes me buy the game for the seventh or eighth time you know what i mean <laughs> so, yeah. it's like the lord of the rings trilogy it's like you buy them on dvd then they release the extended and then they they yeah. release like the one with like extra like five minute documentary inside it's like all right here we go again and then the blu-ray versions dip of on the same thing. thing and then the hd dvd versions of those same things and the ultra 4k blu-rays are the same thing yeah. so it's true yeah. back to the future they did the same thing Oh my god! I just I just got the Ultra 4K version. Burns. That's oh, like the you? fifth box set I think I have of it. I, I haven't even opened the. You have to show me which one you bought so I can match it. <laughs> it won't matter. There'll be a new one, and then like there'll be another like some anniversary release, like in five years. Just wait for that one, right? <laughs> Sadly, you're probably not wrong. All right, gang. Well, that I feel is a good place to leave off on our discussion. It's nice to get back in and talk up some retro topics. It's definitely something I love doing with uh, all you guys here on the team for everyone else. Thank you again for anyone who listens. If you guys want to hang out and chat with any of us, you're welcome to drop by any of our Twitch streams as well. And you can find them all in the links. I'm sure. Uh, well, yeah, there's every one of our streams should have the retro game explorers little banner thing. So you can click on that. It'll take you to our, our little stream page. You can find us mm-hmm. all there. Yep. And we'll be sure to, you know, pump it out there in our own streams as well for this podcast. So I think that's a good where we're at. So again, it's it great catching up with everyone again. Hopefully we'll be doing this a lot more and you know, on a more regular basis moving forward. Yeah. Nah, they'll, they'll, they'll have about a year to listen to this episode <laughs> that's true. before the next time. Yeah. For anyone listening, just keep pausing like every like 20 minutes or something. Just listen to five it. minutes a day. It'll last you until the next episode. <laughs> That'll give Foots enough time to finish all the Final Fantasies since she'll turn off all the battle encounters and speed Now through. I have to yeah, exactly. get through it even faster. You're giving me a one-year deadline right now, man. <laughs> she'll be able to talk about every single RPG in the next episode. She'll, she'll run through all of them. Even the Etrian Odysseys, apparently. <laughs> no, I mean, thanks for listening. That's all I can say. Yep, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you guys soon.